0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be chatting about the results from the European International Championships, which just took place this past weekend. We will, of course, have, guess that flavor text, everyone's favorite segment of the podcast. And then we'll be chatting about a little bit of an interesting situation that popped up that came to light. uh, Some stolen cards from the Pokemon Card Factory being discovered, being recovered by the Pokemon company, of potentially affecting poll rates. That's at least what people seem to think. We'll talk about all that and more on this week's episode. My name is Chip Ritchie. I'm joined here, as always, by my friend and co-host, Azul Gigi. What's up, Azul? How we doing, man? How was uh, how was London?
1: Uh, what's up, Chip? Doing good. Um, nice to play another IC. Yeah, I was in London. Uh, London was okay. Um, I've been there quite a few times now, so... <clears throat> I've already done some of the things, um, and then of course, as always, the food was extremely mid. Uh, so, did anyone?
0: All right. So last week you pled to the comments to help you find something to eat. Did the, anyone in the comments help you find something good to eat?
1: There's a couple suggestions. I believe I went to one of the places, but it wasn't like anything, um, you know, next level. You know, um, yeah. So still, uh, there's only one place in London that I would uh, go back to. Uh, still it's a place that i did go back to there's like a it's like a van or like a bus by the convention center they have like pizza that place is pretty good but besides that there's still i still have yet to go to another place where i would like return to and i do go to places so someone put this in the comment section last week they must have not listen to me when i was talking last week i've been to many places outside of just the convention center area more towards like the downtown areas and stuff like that so but still um yeah, I mean, and you see, it's not just me. You see, everyone talking about it on Twitter. The food in London is just extremely mid. Um, not Europe and not Europe in total, but just London. Uh, probably the UK in general. The food, the food's just mid. That's fine though. The city's pretty cool. Still pretty nice. I like the weather. That was rainy, uh, kind of overcast, cool. So the weather was nice. It was nice. Um, it wasn't like that much warmer in California, but it's still I enjoy that kind of weather. Um, it's like shorts weather for me. So enjoyed the weather. The weather was nice. The tournament, the venue was huge. A little bit warm in the venue, so that was kind of unfortunate. Um, but it wasn't like bad. Uh, plenty of play space, huge venue, tons of play area. They <laughs> they messed up on the uh the table numbers pretty, like it felt like it was pretty bad. They like you know how they usually run it like lengthwise, like if you have a length of 10 tables in a row, it'll be table one on the far right, and then it'll be you know it'll go down all the way to the 10th table. Mm-hmm. Um, but it their table setup it was instead of going long ways for the table numbers it was like the short way for the table numbers so (laughs) like zigzagged so it was like table
0: one was sitting next to like table like 15 or something
1: kind of yeah like it would go stretch down and then on the rebound it would reset. it was bad it was 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 like table
0: one two three four were all the tables on the aisle is that what he, what
1: you're saying No, it's it's harder to explain than that, I guess. But it was like basically I didn't like I never thought that uh, I, I never considered that there was a way to mess up table numbers until <laughs> EUIC cuz every other regional and IC I've ever been to, even previous EUICs, the table numbers were all done the same way and it just felt fine. Uh but go after going to UIC this time around. Uh there apparently is a way to mess up table numbers. Uh and they did it. <laughs> so I'm sure it's something they'll fix in the future. Whoever did the table numbers this time around will not be doing them the same way again. Cause it I never thought you could mess it up. I didn't think it was possible, but it definitely definitely was. But yeah, I made day two, played the sablesard, um, had an okay day one, went in at six one two, which is nice to have that extra point over just going in at six two one. And then yeah, day two didn't go super well. Started off with a win, but it kind of went downhill. Um from there but uh how was uh I, did you tune into the stream at all chip throughout the uh throughout the weekend
0: yeah i watched it a decent bit uh so like round one starts at 4 a.m so i didn't like get up and watch round one or anything like that yeah. but when i got up i started watching so um and i had it on pretty much in the background all day so i would be sitting down and actually watching a few rounds and then other rounds would just kind of on in the background or on on my phone while i was getting other things done doing other stuff but yeah, I tuned in, watched a good bit of it. Uh, we got to see some pretty interesting decks, it seemed like. I think they did a pretty good job overall picking the matches and stuff like that. So, shout outs to all the casters, everyone did a great job. Um, yeah, it was a blast to watch, get to enjoy the stream a little bit. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about like the finals and stuff. But uh, were you did you watch the finals at the venue, Azul? Or no, did you watch I it all, left, really? okay.
1: No, I watched a little bit. I actually thought uh Tort was gonna win I, I did too I, as i was getting onto my flight game three was um started yep. and i was like well this looks terrible for uh yep. Yep. alex here <laughs> but um but yeah, i think it's it one of the better in the way
0: I, I think it's one of the better finals from a major in like recent memory for sure yeah it was a really good set just uh, all three games honestly like i think it really kind of dictated how the matchup can go um hmm. And it, I mean, it does feel close. Like either player can definitely win. Alex maybe has a slight edge with the Vulpix and stuff, right? But, um, I mean, he didn't have it in game three, found a way to win still. So it was pretty yeah.
1: wild. I do not plan on going back and like rewatching it all. I'm going to do like the, the Vod review of uh, UIC. Now that we have like a new format, it feels worth it to Vod review again because I didn't do the last couple major events because it was like, oh, Lugia, <laughs> Mirror again. Let's go. Dude, I but, think uh... we had It was bad.
0: I mean, for. So many regionals and stuff, we tried to avoid the Lugia mirror match mm-hmm. a, a decent bit. I mean, we would have it on every once in a while, but we tried to avoid it just because it, it's been so played out at this point, right? Yeah, um, but then it kind of became <laughs> we were just featuring Lugia versus Mew a lot, and yeah. <laughs> because like those are the two, two of the more powerful decks. Two decks that are really popular amongst the top players and so i i mean probably like 30 plus percent of our stream matches at some of those last regionals were just lugia versus Mew matches
1: Yeah, you couldn't really avoid like even if you try to avoid lugia mirror specifically you can't avoid lugia itself yeah, like, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's lugia versus lost box or lugia versus Mew or lugia mirror yeah um
0: is bound to be on the table most of the most of the games
1: yeah definitely
0: but uh yeah so we we'll, have talked a little bit just about what Azul's trip was like to EUIC. We'll chat a little bit now about the results. And I guess before we get into the results, we'll talk a little bit about the MetaShare, what ended up being popular on the day, what ended up being popular into day number two. But even before we get into that, Azul, why don't you just kind of fill us in on how you kind of approach this tournament? What did your testing look like? Once you got to London, I know most of your testing, like from when we talked last week on the podcast, it was really late Monday night for you. You hadn't really felt like you'd done a lot of testing yet. Um, yeah. But I imagine the next few days were just full of games and full of discussion and full of, you know, trying to figure out, okay, what are we doing for this format? So what, what did that process look like for you guys? Did you go through the gauntlet of all of these decks, consider playing all of the decks or I don't know, just general, What what did the process look like?
1: um i mean we played through a lot of the decks um i made sure that we kind of wrote off a couple of them immediately because i don't think they're very good and i don't think my opinions really change on that it's like moraydon and lost tina i think are still terrible decks uh, overall in the meta they're right are i think tina's actually just a terrible deck i think Moridon's a very powerful deck but i don't think the meta is right for it uh we did see one get the top eight and we'll talk a little bit more about that later but i still don't think the meta is right for Moridon. i think lost tina is just a terrible deck uh moraydon is actually a very powerful deck it's kind of like Mew, where the meta does not feel quite right for it um so I made sure we didn't like waste any time on those. The Sable's Art is actually something that I thought of literally before rotation even happened. Um and I kind of just been like sitting on it for a while. I didn't play any games with it cuz I knew it was probably just good and the question would be would it be good enough. I had mentioned it to like the group a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no one had really put, we didn't put any really time into it until the event actually happened. But yeah, I had like thought about the whole process of uh the whole idea of uh, Sablezard could be good, and then once I saw initial Lugia lists and Guardi lists, it's like okay, well you can just Mawile win the game against them uh, with Pidgey. Um, so I had that in my, I had them in the back pocket, like since rotation was about to happen. Uh, once I saw the initial lists for everything, so um, kind of just sat on that, and then that's kind of everything else. Like we went through Guardi. we did some Guardy games, we tried to make Guardi feel good against Lost Box, which we just weren't able to do. Otherwise, Guardi probably would have been what we played. Um, and like I even mentioned last week on the cast, I felt like Guardi, if you just played a Guardi list and you're like, all right, screw the Lost Box matchup. I'm just going to play a Guardi list that is as consistent as possible for everything else. Uh, it's probably a pretty reasonable play. And that's what we kind of saw Tor did, right? Zero text for the Lost Box matchup. You could maybe say the the Penny's probably pretty strong against Lost Box. And so is you the, the Cresselia in there, too. Um well yeah, Cresselia's can be kind of like a Cresselia's not that good against Lost Box. It's yeah. like it's just something to attack with.
0: <clears throat> but it's a like good it's Still still as played well. the manaphy in the deck as well.
1: Yeah, of course, yeah. So um I mean we did some stuff. We tried to make Guardi feel comfortable against Lost Box. We weren't able to do it. Uh we got pretty close uh with a couple different ideas. Um we, we I was never really on Lost Box. A couple of the other guys of the group were I like the idea of some kind of build of Lost Box. I was kind of off Lost Box since uh like like, like the, mirage you know, gate lost box you mean yeah just like mirage gate stuff like that kind of lost like yeah sable's art is definitely different mirage gate lost box i've never really been a fan of uh the idea of in this format it might be better than i kind of give it credit for i made sure we didn't waste any time on mew guju was something that we considered we tried out for a little bit and we did think it was like actually uh decently strong and it was kind of it kind of worked like it was just kind of working um <clears throat> we didn't spend a ton of time on arc pile stuff uh, which is kind of what ended up winning, but maybe we should have spent a little bit more time on ArcPile. Um, yeah, that was kind of it. We just try to put, play a bunch of games with a bunch of different decks. Uh, and the end result was that we felt like the Sablezard was probably going to give us the best chance of uh, taking down the tournament, and we went with it.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, it seemed, I think this deck seemed pretty good. It was kind of interesting. You talk about the Mawile. You identified it pretty early on, like, oh, this card is really, really good. And we talked about it as well, you know, you thinking that the Mawile was pretty good. And then in the weeks following, we started to see a little bit of Things popping up on Twitter, people posting pictures of the card, or you yeah. know, people were playing it in their decks in the limitless tournaments online <laughs> and stuff like that. So people kind of did that scare you a little bit, uh, when debating to play a tech like that as kind of being your main answer to things like Lugia and Guardi, um, whenever it's kind of like becoming a known thing. And we even saw people respecting Ma right? Like people like Toward playing the penny plus Palpat in his deck.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say I don't think it really scared. Um so I mean for the Guardian matchup, you don't need it. Um it's just sure, a nice sure, sure. addition. But especially against like Klefkies, it's really good. Like your route against Klefki can be like um this actually saw something we saw we saw a little bit different in Pedro's list, is Pedro played the Miltank to try and stop like the Hatterini or the Reggie Lucky hit and run. Um you can set up the Miltank to actually kind of stop that. Um we didn't really think about that at all. Um, but you can also kind of do the same thing with Mawile and into Sableye. You go Mawile, trap the Klefki and then retreat to Sableye, Sableye KOs it with scratch. Yeah. Um. So you can do like that little combo or something like that to <laughs> get around them. Uh, but I also just think like uh, Klefki Hadarini is just like bad. <laughs> like our, like Klefki's in Maridon might be okay, but I think like Klefki Hadarini in Guardi is just bad. So um, that's another thing where I was just, like, okay, I'm just kind of fine losing to that because I don't think those kind of lists will do very well because I think it's so clunky. Um. But the uh, yeah, seeing people like kind of like catch on to while before the tournament was kind of unfortunate, of course would been nice if no one had caught on to it. Uh, but I feel like that's never going to happen in the current day and age of Pokemon. Everything moves so much faster. Like, if we were back in 2012, Mawile would have been an, ex- an insane tech card to have come up with and played, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in 2023, it's like, oh, you're playing the tech that everyone knows about. But I do think um, people are a little bit less likely to want to tech for something until it actually performs. This tournament was, I guess, a little bit more 50-50. Um, but I think now that Mawile has performed, we saw Pedro in top eight with it. We saw... uh we saw people proving that they played the card. It's like, if there's no proof of people playing the card in a major tournament, then people don't really want to tech for it kind of thing, you know, right. Like the deck has to do well, um, for people to actually want to put the tech cards in, but now I think we will see it be added. But yeah, I think, um, the hype itself wasn't enough to really change everyone's mind. Like the first two rounds I beat in at USC was two Lugias that didn't play a, switch card like i just beat them with mawile <laughs> so did you always just approach the games in those instances of like i'm going with
0: mawile until they show me an answer and i'm just committing to basically this basically have to
1: do that yeah because okay. if they show you the answer they can just mill you on that turn with Tar. so they can literally just win the game i actually did the person i played against who did have i played against another lugia who i did end up tying they did play an escape rope um but they played it poorly because they, did, they could have just decked me out and but instead they waited until uh, they could just do the combo, and then they went, like, escape up their Luminian, send up their T-tar, collapse Stadium away their Luminian, and then mill. Oh, uh, then they went Judge Mill instead of just waiting until I had one or two cards in deck and then just milling it yeah. out. So, and I actually had a chance to draw into a combination of cards that actually would have won me the game. I could have re-looped them with uh, Echoing Horn because they had the Luminian in the discard pile now, but I didn't draw the combination of cards, so they messed up on that, but I ended up losing that game anyways because it's really hard to recover from that when I'm not like putting damage and play the whole game or setting anything up. I was still like using Colrus, but like my board was very underdeveloped. uh, And then they had already like drawn it, uh, been up a prize card or something. So it was really hard. It would have been really hard for me to come back. But then game two, I just kind of beat them by attacking, which you can do. You can just beat the. Like the Lugia matchup is still pretty close, even if you don't trap something and win with Mawile. It's just like the Mawile play is nice to also have.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, Yeah, I don't think it was like too big of a detriment to playing the deck was the idea that Ma was kind of a known quantity or a semi-known quantity for sure.
0: All right. Before we get into the meta-share, I just gotta ask as well. So you tweeted before the event, if anyone can guess correctly what Caleb Getamer proxied all three of these cards as, I'll give them a hundred pounds. So uh, for anyone who's listening, Azul tweeted this picture, said that his testing partner Caleb had proxied these three cards. And the three cards pictured were Gengar, Reggie Drago V in Sydney did anyone in the comments get it right
1: they did and I still have to message them to give them a hundred pounds uh, I'm
0: keeping you honest here as well I'm keeping you honest
1: yeah I still have to send them a message but yeah someone did guess them correctly but well, I'm not going to say yet know? okay well okay. no so anyone else who wants to go to have a guess at it can go ahead and have a guess at it um well someone no someone's already it guessed
0: it though I'm not gonna you're not gonna you know be out more oh I guess that's right? true that's true
1: never mind yeah, yeah yeah uh so it is well do you want to have a guest chip did you have an idea
0: Oh man, I well now I kind of want to scroll through these uh, these comments. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I saw a ton of people were guessing like Sableye, Dragonite, and like Boss or something like that. I, I saw that guess I think multiple times. But I think what people don't understand is that Caleb has so many cards, and also you guys have played Lost Box so much. Caleb definitely has enough Dragon or like there were there were enough Dragonite V and Sableye in the room that those cards would not have had to have been proxied like for sure right that's what i think at least so i don't i don't have a super strong <laughs> guess one way or the other but it is it
1: Sableye Dragonite <laughs> v and then the sydney is a Colress. what <laughs> we had a lot of lost box decks built at some point a lot oh and we usually when we test we only use caleb's cards so um usually when we're testing we only use caleb's cards so yeah, that was the and I yeah I do still have to message the the person who did get it right. I saw they got it right. They got it right like in like the first hour uh, of me tweeting it, or two yeah, hours that's after. A, that's that's was like, super
0: to disappointing to be honest. Like
1: yeah, I
0: would have thought they would have been, been nice more, more sure. difficult than that. <laughs> 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 I think for the for it to have been worthy of a tweet, I would have expected it to be just some like crazy off the wall cards. Like someone guessed like Urshifu and Thornton and like that's that's more in line with what I would have. Predicted right, <laughs> just stuff that, like, you know, is more off the wall, but yeah, it is what it is. You had a lot of Lost Box decks built, we had a lot of stabilizer like 10 built. bucks now, so it makes sense that <laughs> there wouldn't be too many of them floating around, I guess.
1: And that was kind of our second, like, as far as our testing went, our baseline was Lugia. If a deck couldn't beat Lugia, uh, then we just stopped testing it. So, and then our second, our follow up deck with that was Lost Box. So I was like, all right, if the deck can beat Lugia, then we get to test it more against. Or, if an idea beat Lugia, then we tested it more against Lost Box and so on and so forth. So, I mean, those are like really the only two decks that we knew we had to beat. And then everything else after that could just be theory or just be like, well, we don't have to beat everything. So, you don't have to beat that. Like, if we lose to a Maridon or a Mew, we were like content with those losses, which we did kind of like. Our Mew matchup was not great with the Sablezard that we played. Um, I was content with taking that rough matchup. I can't um, believe you wagered hindsight... hundred
0: dollars that no one would guess that those were the three cards. <laughs> like, <laughs> <well, laughs> that's—I don't know—that's like not an unreasonable guess for someone to have made. <laughs> I'm still
1: getting. It's over like, that. why did you do this? <laughs> <laughs> Poor you. Um. But uh. But yeah. Yeah, so the the Mew matchup was not great, so we took kind of that risk. And I was, like, fine with that. In hindsight, maybe we shouldn't have. I still think Mew was a pretty bad play. We did see Pablo get top four. Um, I really like Pablo's list as well. I think Pablo had a really cool uh, take on the list or on the deck. Um, And I do think maybe, like, the fan of waves that Pablo played was also kind of, like, the... The key to the lugia matchup to having like an okay lugia matchup. we can talk about that a little bit further
0: yeah we'll talk about it a little further i sent a list in our discord that was like three cards different than Pablo's list like a week before i, mean, I still
1: wouldn't play i still wouldn't play okay, okay. Sure, sure, Mew. Sure, sure, sure. it doesn't matter what kind of list you have. you could have had four fan waves in there i still would have been like no that's all right chip <laughs> there were two there were two take that to your take one's to probably a challenge.
0: all right yeah to the league challenge all right well let's yeah. move on and let's let's talk about the meta share for the event what decks were popular what people decided to bring to the tournament and i don't think this was too much of a surprise but in day one lost zone box was the most popular deck um i probably assume that this groups together both sableye charizard and mirage gate builds i don't know if they're separate or not i would have to actually ask someone maybe but um yeah lost box being most popular and honestly just Kumfe, engine decks dominating the tournament because it was Lost Zone Box, Lost Zone Guillotina, and Hisui and V Star, all three in the top six.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's pretty, I think it's like pretty reasonable. I think what are we missing like from this top cut that seems off? Is there anything that I we're mean, really there's missing? no
0: Arceus deck, there's no Maraidon, right? But I mean, not a sub- those... no Arceus
1: deck being there isn't like su- no, it's anything that's a surprise that's missing. Yeah, no Maraidon, I think, is probably the one that stands out the most, right? like maybe yeah. right i would have been another one to, to I think... be in this top six but it's not like a surprise that Gudra guja was getting some hype going into the tournament i feel like as well as kind of catching picking up steam once again which is like how Gudra does <laughs> just kind of picks up steam <laughs> um but i think we'll see sablezard in the top six like moving forward from here on out like, like that's not a deck that i would expect to be in the top six but i think moving forward sablezard will probably unless, yeah, it's just, and... unless it's just in the lost own box decks and it might in be. that percentage yeah it might be.
0: It might be worth separating those two because uh, they are yeah. pretty different decks, right? But uh, it should yeah.
1: be like Comfy Mirage Gate and then Comfy Other. Yeah, should probably be how it breaks down.
0: Maybe it should just be Lost Zone. Maybe the the radiant Pokemon they play should be the differentiator, right? Oh, Lost radiant. Zone oh, okay. Greninja, yeah, yeah. Lost like Zone Charizard, like
1: right? Yeah, that would be okay as well. I think mine's a little bit better, but. <laughs> and allowing. then
0: uh lugia being the second most popular deck it's uh not something we've ever seen before on one of these graphs lugia archaeops being in the yeah. second place not the first place obviously post rotation things are a lot different lugia proving though that it is still very strong and it was still a really popular choice overall on the tournaments
1: yeah, I mean, I think we'll see that flip probably, and it could be even Guardian number one to be honest. But I don't think, and this is what I love. This is what this is what a real meta will feel like. I don't think Lost Box is holding that number one spot after EUIC. I think Lost Box in general is a little overhyped. Um, like I said, I like going into this format, I was not on, I was not hype on Mirage Gate Lost Box at all. Um, I think this tournament results kind of definitely showcases that it's not head and shoulders above the rest of the the decks, right? Like Lugia was kind of last format. Um, and that's the, the beautiful thing about an actual meta is that there's actual evolution to the meta, right? Like last format, it was Lugia 30, 30% day one, 40% day two for the whole time. And then everything else kind of floated under that, but nothing ever really like could like take command of like being, uh, you know, the next most popular deck um, or shift up the meta enough that something could become the next most popular deck. But I think that's what we'll see here. And it could stay on as Lugia being the most popular after that for forever, but um, yeah, I think Lostbox will definitely not be number one moving forward. Um, I'll be surprised if it ever regains that spot. I don't think it will.
0: Then we saw Guardian Mew both at between 11 and 12%. Is that kind of what you guys had predicted? Maybe a little bit more Mew than what you were expecting?
1: I think we were like, no, I think we can predict. I think our predictions were 2020 on the top two, around 2020. Mm-hmm. We were close on that. I think it was like 10 for guardy 10 for Mew. Uh, Tina, I think we maybe said like there was like sevens for Tina's and Goodras, like Five to seven for Tina, Goudra, uh, Maridon. What other decks? I feel like we're missing a deck in that percentage in those decks. Let me look up like a meta. No, I think that was, yeah. That's that's the way we predicted basically for the most part. I think that's it. Um, think and then Arc Piles, we're at like 4% or something. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at like a meta breakdown right now of like decks. Now I'm trying to like jog my memory. Like a yeah.
0: deck or something.
1: No, we didn't really like, we didn't think yeah. about that deck at all.
0: So, I don't think that you're missing anything there. Yeah, I
1: don't think um,
0: so. But then, yeah. So, the, I mean, I think the biggest surprise to me was seeing the Gudra up here. Like you said, it was gaining a lot of popularity moving yeah. into the tournament. So, it kind of makes sense that it would sneak in there at the sixth spot. But maybe a little bit more surprising is when we go from day one over to day two, Gudra jumps up to 15% of the day two. Yeah, really so it, good. Really good conversion rate into day two. And Lugia also having a really yeah. solid <laughs> conversion rate, jumping all the way up to 27% of the day two decks
1: yeah, so pretty good conversion rate for uh, I mean, lugia having a good conversion rate. I mean uh, lugia still feels like it's like the it's it's like lost box, I think, compared to like something like a lost box, it's easy to misplay with lost box. It's mm-hmm. harder to misplay with Lugia. And like fundamentally, it's just like an easier deck to play. So we'll see. The success of it naturally just be really good because like it doesn't matter the level of play you are for the most part if you draw well enough I mean obviously there's going to be some put like skill will have a still a big impact on how you play but if you play well you play decently well um, you're going to do well with Lugia right you chance you doing well with Lugia is like pretty reasonable but with Lost Box if you're not playing like perfect you're it's possible you're going to have a really bad day right so it having a really good conversion rate I think we'll consistently see from Lugia still um, and then we see like Guardian mew are pretty much neutral. T- Lost zone Tina fell off a little bit. But yeah, Guja getting a huge jump up. I think it's just because Gudra is just pretty good positioned in the meta. Also, it probably has to do with a uh it has a good Lugia and Lost Box matchup. I actually think you're favored against Lugia. Um for like the little bit yeah. that we put into the deck, uh testing up leading to the event. It did feel like Gudra was slightly favored into the Lugia matchup overall. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, most people people were Lost playing. Box double... matchup is solid as well.
0: Yeah, Lost Box seems decent. Um your Mew matchup, I mean, pretty much all of them were playing double Drappy on it, looked like are. Pretty decent percentage of them were, yeah. so that's gonna give you a. Pre- I mean, if you just put two Drapion in your deck, you're gonna have a good time against me most of the time.
1: That feels but. that feels a little overkill. I think you could get away with one <clears> still, but yeah, it's gonna make it that much harder from you.
0: Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see double Drapion in Alex's deck because you could just go Drapion and then Vulpix V-Star, V-Star Power, right? And it's like pretty much the you same can't... thing.
1: Well, no, if they don't bench on that turn again, we actually did them. When we one weird passing arc pile decks. We we're like, okay, they can oh, you oh, don't actually it. get there. Yeah, you can play around it pretty reasonably, actually. Okay, especially okay. if you still play the Oracorio. True. Sure. not getting sense, the one KO. I think could, this... I think in Arc decks though, you could still get away with one Drapion probably because I think an Arc can probably pull out three prize cards somewhere at a point. Two a KO and a Mew, or a KO and I two, two prizes. Like... which is decent yeah. against
0: them. Yeah, you can
1: you could maybe make it work with one with one Drapion for sure. But just playing double Drapion and like making it from like maybe a f- slightly favored matchup to maybe a 50-50 to like a guaranteed win is like that's pretty nice, right?
0: Yeah, especially a deck that's going to be a decent percentage. Of the meta, uh,
1: but yeah, actually, the Gudra deck's actually playing double drapion is a little curious to me because they only play like two stadiums, right? Um, unless, yeah, what did Aiden actually play?
0: Aiden had two drapion,
1: yeah, but with how many stadium bumps did you Aiden play? Yeah,
0: two, one beach court, one crystal cave,
1: any um, no vacuum, yeah, see, that's a little curious to me because that feels like. It's going to be hard to get value out of your second trade. There's no Clara either, well, right? Well, so you can, you can Mirage into get... to it. You can Melanie Attach Mirage That's mirage-gate. true. I guess, you, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, okay. You could just load it up. <laughs> I guess, yeah, you could just do that. <laughs> All right, that's, fair, is... that's fair, that's fair.
0: The roundabout way of doing it, but yeah, I mean, if we look at yeah, the day yeah. two, there was twenty five Gudras in day two. Oh, I, I misspoke. I guess I was maybe more looking at Aiden's list who got top eight, but uh it looks like the average was one point one Drapion in list. Okay, so maybe just two. Aiden
1: was the. So it was probably just Aiden then. Maybe yeah. one other person.
0: Uh, what? Yeah, one or two people total. Um, yeah. Okay. More reasonable. But yeah, I mean, I think one of the big things that Gudra. Uh, gained in this format is just the fact that people are now playing melanie in the deck like melanie lets you make a turn two gudra way easier than having Mm -hmm. to focus hard into the colris strategy right and forcing yourself to play mirage gate obviously mirage gate's still insanely powerful and you know you want to get to mirage gate eventually but the fact that you can just go turn one attach turn two attach melanie boom rolling iron like that's pretty reasonable to pull off
1: yeah definitely and, and we i even saw to, we even
0: saw that um the guy that won fort wayne with had the draft, melanies yeah yeah had he the had melanies. the melanies max johnson
1: yeah so this is probably where the Melanie train started i think it makes sense i was a little bit skeptical about that kind of uh split of like gates and melanies and being like well should not you just play heavier for your loss zone build up it's like then you just get to your gates um I think the flip side of that as well, having either access to melodies just gives you more... And then it's like, on the flip side of that, well, what if you just played Heavy for melodies? Like, why do you even play Law Zone stuff, right? What if you just Melonied? But then it's harder to build up your follow-up dragon, uh, Guja. So I think, actually, yeah, I think the combination of Law Zone plus Melanie does provide a really good uh, balance to uh getting gujas out up and out consistently and then f- going into your follow-up gujra yeah uh, one thing i will say definitely is like stop playing i've see- still seen a couple people playing two Goudra V. stop doing that just put the third Goudra V in the deck it's ridiculous <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah leave that behind leave that behind let's get yeah, the- i
1: think it, i think it is correct i think the gates plus the melanie does seem to be correct because it, it's the it's the best it's the most consistent balance of getting your first Gujra set up whether it be through the melanie or the chorus and then be able to most consistently get that follow-up gujra if you do need it um, or even the bigger, big explosive plays like through setting up a Drapion under path or attacking with Greninja, which is like a really powerful tool uh, yeah. and option in the Lugia matchup specifically. Because your Guja doesn't want to kill anything in the Lugia, in the Lugia matchup. You don't want to kill anything with your Gudra. So being able to use Greninja to like clean up like four prize cards at the end of the game is like a pretty big deal for sure.
0: No, definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Gudra. I mean, I think moving forward, we could even see Gudra in day one be like third most yeah. popular potentially like i don't know the guardian matchups
1: <laughs> i think the guardian matchup is pretty bad for guja but maybe yeah maybe um, also another thing as far as playing against guja goes if you're playing uh lugia put your v guard energy i saw a couple people do this actually at <laughs> at the tournament when i was sitting next to lugia versus guja put your v guard energy on your Titar, because then guja can't ko it with the choice belt <clears throat> That's
0: that's pretty smart. That's pretty smart. (laughs) Free free coaching from Azul. He normally charges for that information right there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Put you to put your V-Guard energy on the Pokemon so it doesn't get KO'd.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good tips. Good tips. Well, yeah, let's just, I mean, we've looked at the meta day one, day two. Let's look at just the results. And starting off with Alex Shamansky getting the win with Arceus Duraladon. First off, big congratulations to Alex. I think we've we've talked about him on the podcast in the past. He's someone who has gotten second place a lot, partially in part thanks to Azul for several of those times getting second place. (laughs) Um, But everyone knew that Alex was a great player and it was just a matter of time before the cards were going to fall in his favor. He was going to get a major tournament win. He did win the Players' Cup 4, which counts for something, but I think people people obviously put the most stock in the IRL events and uh, Alex was able to finally take down an IC with an anti-meta deck, which is super interesting as well, because usually these major tournaments, like the first tournament of a new format, and especially a rotation, the lists we see do the best are just consistent versions of whatever the best one or two decks are, right? Yeah. But Alex played played an anti-meta deck, which is really risky going into a tournament when there's not real results to build off of. Obviously, there is still going to be a meta, there's still people talking, and we do have some online events, right? um yeah. but i don't know i mean i think it's a little bit of a risky call to want to roll up with an anti-meta deck like this but it paid off big time alex Trumansky getting the win
1: yeah i think i think that. I, that's another thing i think leading towards we i, talked, I talked about this a little bit i figured i mentioned this around but like just the development of everything happens so much faster in the current day and age so like you knew kind of what to expect um and we even saw I think something that wouldn't have been predictable that we did see develop a little bit was people like including stuff like their own Duraludon in Lugia. And we saw yeah. like the Stringle Strike Urshifu in Lugia as well. Um and I'm sure if single strike Urshifu was staple in Lugia, you probably couldn't have played this deck specifically, right? You probably would not have played Arctur. But maybe, maybe the matchup is still close. That's something that I would have to personally test. But um yeah, I mean the, the meta evolves so fast, and we have these all big online tournaments, like decently sized online tournaments to kind of play off a little bit for sure, as like as far as meta development goes um that you could get a pretty reasonable uh read on the meta i feel like before it actually before the before these tournaments happen so yeah it's not too too big of a surprise for me for sure i don't think it's like too big of a surprise but um yeah alex finally getting the dub took him a little while but yeah everyone was kind of just it was kind of just like a waiting for it to happen it definitely gonna happen eventually
0: now i think it's grant is officially the person with the the most top eights without a major win so yeah. We'll, see, we'll see if he can pick it up at some point.
1: <laughs> what if that's like the... You have to hit 13 top eights before you actually get to win a tournament. So now Grant <laughs> has to get a couple more.
0: <laughs> yeah, Grant is a, just a couple away. Um, but yeah,
1: so Alex
0: was able to take down Tord, which... The fact that Tord was even playing in the finals is incredible. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's won four ICs. This is actually his sixth IC finals that he's played in. A lot of them. He got second place at NAIC in 2018, the year Stefan won. I believe it was 2018. I mean,
1: 2019? No, 2018. You're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah 2018. 2018.
0: His Zoro control deck, right? Um. So, yeah, I mean, congratulations to Tord. Just further cementing himself as one of the best to ever do it. And playing Gardevoir, the new archetype, the new deck. So, I mean, he's someone who played Lugia pretty much the entirety of last format. Obviously, the power level of the deck went way down with rotation. And the potential for Gardevoir is super, super high. And we know Tord loves trade, right? He won multiple majors with Zorwark GX. So I think him getting a chance to say refinement or maybe, I don't know, I wonder, do you think Tord said trade or refinement whenever he was uh, discarding cards?
1: maybe nothing a lot of people don't say anything i don't say anything i would just like tap the card on my curly and then put in the discard pile (laughs) so maybe nothing
0: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah toward getting second place with the gardevoir what'd you think of his list
1: uh it was cool i mean i think it was like 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 i even mentioned on the cast last week like i feel like gardevoir like kind of disrespecting lost box was almost the way to go and i feel like that's what toward kind of went with here for the most part i mean like like you mentioned uh or even i mentioned the collapse stadium is there the penny is there which are both like reasonable tools against lost box the collapsed is definitely i would say better because you could like pick off like one of your own damage guard exes against lost box or something the, the penny's like meh because like they're usually wanting ko in any of your basic pokemon anyways um that's the idea and then besides that you you have the roxanne in there like you said the Cresselia can be a cool tool the problem with the Cresselia in the matchup is like they're usually like if they're using sableye they're KOing the pokemon so it's not like they're sitting there and being like 20 to everything they're going all right knock out your curlia 40 on your mana fee right yeah. and then going from there right it's so something that can allow like, you to
0: be aggressive into like just companies on the bench and stuff though
1: yeah i think the, the more power from it comes from the 110 from the like just having that or the was it lunar blast is that the name of the attack yeah i think that's like where the most power because you don't have to sit a in your active um it gives you like a way to be a little bit more aggressive early without putting a potential two prize in your active after you've already put like six damage counters on it or something but zation is also a really good tool for the early game uh as well um so the, and then yeah the, there was a rare candies in here so you actually have the potential for like a turn two attack. Um specifically yeah. which I think is like a pretty important thing to have in the lost box matchup as well. It's like to be able to attack turn two potentially. It
0: seems like most lists were going with three rare candies coming into the tournament or zero rare candies and you were yeah. talking last week about how you liked zero rare candies and I think Tord kind of found the happy medium here right two rare candies with kind of the idea that you're going to play one in a game right is, yeah. is kind of the idea and having two gives you a reasonable enough chance like I mean if you get a couple Ralts down turn one. You're gonna get a few refinements, in. it's reasonable that you'll see a rare candy on turn one or turn two. Excuse me, so you can get that turn two guardy. Um, the big standouts to me in this list that are really differentiating from what people were playing coming into the tournament is that Tord only played one Shining Arcana Gardevoir. He had two Zosh and V, which was, you know, maybe not the craziest thing. That was kind of, you know, some people played one, some people played two.
1: I was kind um, of getting, like, I felt like getting hyped up. Yeah, I agree. UIC was the double doubleization.
0: And then the Luminion is kind of the big card that was, that pretty much yeah. no one was playing that I saw uh, coming into the tournament and toured. And I think Robin as well played the same 60, right? And got top yeah, I think 64, so. Top 32, top 32. So... Yeah, uh, obviously, I mean, I, Toward is a pretty great player, pretty great deck builder as well. I think this list seems like a, like a pretty solid one all around. And if you're wanting to start with Gardevoir, this seems like a good place to start.
1: Yeah, definitely. That is a, the sketchiest thing for me, actually, now that I've noticed it, there's no Rescue Carrier. I was a huge fan of the Rescue Carrier. Um, and it's not even for the Lost Box to mat, match up so much. It felt like it was more strong against... Um, you had like a slow start against like a Lugia or something, and they started boss picking off your... Ralts and Curlia pretty early on, pretty aggressively. It's when, like, the rest of your carrier felt really, really good. Or, like, an unfortunate escape rope or something. But if you usually open up, like, if you don't prize a Ralts and then you open up pretty aggressively, um, which is not too hard for the deck to do. Like, the deck can usually get out, like, four to six basic Pokemon turn one pretty reasonably. You can usually push up, you know, like, Greninja or something to to get KO'd as opposed to losing a Ralts on the turn. So... Definitely something worth testing out as well. But yeah, I, when I did play with the Rescue Carrier, I found the Rescue Carrier to be, feel extremely strong. So that's like the biggest thing that I feel like is missing that I was something that like I felt like was uh, really, really good for sure. Um, but I think we'll probably see moving forwards instead of Penny. We'll probably be seeing Escape Rope in uh, in this deck to deal with the Vulpix moving forwards. Because um, I think that's all you really need, right? Once you include the Escape Rope, you kind of auto-win the Vulpix uh matchup i guess with only one boss it's still a little bit weird um because the idea yeah, would that's be probably that
0: you... the other thing worth mentioning is that he did only play the one boss
1: yeah only one boss usually people were playing like one boss one serena um but yeah i think like moving forward we'll see people add the escape rope to deal with the vulpix v-star i think for sure
0: yeah makes sense i mean it's probably the best thing to add. i mean is there any basic psychic attacker that you could add that doesn't have an ability that would also get in it there might
1: be there might that's be. I don't know. I'd have to look to, to them.
0: And that's yeah. that's kind of, you know, I mean, you talked about earlier how this is like a real meta. What a real meta feels like. It's like how do the Gardevoir players adjust to the Vulpix winning the tournament, right? And then does yeah. Alex's deck, right? That That's the thing about anti-meta decks is that they're really good for a specific meta. Moving forward, they're a lot weaker, right?
1: Yeah, I think we'll still see some people play them and try to make them work. But I think... Uh, it- It'll, it'll it'll be one of those things where... I'm trying to think of a good example. Oh, it's like Decidueye. Like, during the pandemic, there was, like, the Decidueye, Uh, What do people call it? The, like, graph or whatever, the flow chart. It's like, Decidueye <laughs> wins a tournament. Everyone texts for Decidueye. You can't play Decidueye for two weeks. No one texts for Decidueye. Decidueye wins a tournament. Everyone texts for Decidueye. Repeat, infinitely. Uh, <laughs> so the Decidueye flow chart, I think, might, could be coming into play with something around Vulpix, where it's like, Vulpix probably won't be great for the next couple of major tournaments. But on that third major tournament... Is anyone gonna really be playing escape rope in, in Guardi anymore at that point? Vulpix hasn't been seen in, in a top eight for weeks now. Why would you want to play this card that's really not that good in the deck overall when well, you could play like another consistency card? And then everyone cuts their escape ropes and then Vulpix wins a tournament and then repeat. So um yeah, could see something cheesy like that happening. The uh the flow chart for uh <laughs> the Guardi versus or the Vulpix Vstar flow chart could be something we come up here, at least in this matchup, right? it could be something that's a little bit more matchup based or it's not like as universal as the situation I was. Cause the situation I beat like everything when no one was taking for it. You literally beat every single deck in the format, basically. Um, so that was a little bit different, but for this matchup, we could see the, the Volpix Vsar versus Guardi flow chart uh, happening as of uh, right now.
0: And then if we look at the top four, we had Pedro, uh eugenio torres with his lost box deck up again or not up against he played against (laughs) alex (laughs) and then pablo meza on the other side of the bracket losing to Tord, and pablo of course playing the mew so i mean also one other thing to mention i mean if you just look at that top four i mean obviously all these players who made top eight are great but you look at the top four i mean that's four top tier players the first Mm -hmm. tournament back first new format pretty cool to see
1: and if we take a look at uh, Pedro, we start. Oh, do you want to start with Pablo? Pablo or Pedro?
0: Pablo got third, so let's start with Pablo. Okay.
1: All right. So start with Pablo. Playing the Mew. Like I said, I'm not a big fan of Mew. I don't think the deck's that great, um, but I do like Pablo's list. No Orokorio. I think it makes sense. There's not really that much damage reduction to get like the 310 versus 330 HP on a clean Mew doesn't matter too much right now. I think it's like more so matters to like protect your Genesex in weird situations and your Mew V's. But yeah. So the no And then just being pretty much as straightforward as consistent as possible, right? Four Pats of the Peak, four Vacuum to make sure you can remove them. Uh, For the supporter line, three Judge, three Boss, one Avery, which I think is like a strong card actually in the uh, the Guardian matchup because you can go like Avery to reduce their bench down to just Ralts and then Escape Rope and force a Ralts into the active and then knock that out turn two as opposed to going after, uh, as opposed to like whiffing the boss um, or having to Escape Rope up something like a Greninja or something that's a little bit less useful, right? um so yeah really like the list here from pedro i guess the the, the spicy tech pablo. um ha- or pablo is it pedro from pablo yeah, is yeah. uh th- there's the echoing horning here of course and then the spicy tech would be the the fan of waves which is super strong in the lugia matchup removes v guard energy for easier ko's also removes the gift energy which i think is its strongest um attribute is like if you get killed by a Tar and it's you know it's got single strike single strike v guard gift you can Fan of waves the gift back to the deck, play the Roxanne, KO the Titar, and then hope they didn't get a research off the Roxanne. And if they didn't, then they might not be able to set up their second Titar as cleanly, yeah. uh, and that could just be the end of the game for them.
0: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the fan of waves. Uh, seems really good. The Avery is really cool tech in here. Avery is kind of just one of those cards that seems to pop up every once in a while and in metas like this where i mean specifically against gardevoir it seems really strong but i mean in the mew mirror it's probably pretty good right um for you
1: roxanne if you can hit up with an avery first just start to work on their genesex
0: against stuff like gudra it's probably pretty good as well you can do stuff like avery someone who's trying to play around echoing horn right avery and then horn a two prizer into play that you can ko the next turn or uh something like that so yeah, I'm a fan of this list. Straightforward, consistent. I think Mew is one of the most powerful decks in the format, obviously. So just playing a consistent list of a very powerful deck. The four vacuum, four path. Um, very similar to that list. Like you played, uh, Were you one of the first people to play four vacuum, four path in Mew like forever ago, like six months ago? Do you I remember that?
1: I did three and three, but I did copy a list that was in Japan. Like I initially just okay. copied a uh, list from Japan, but I think it was three and three. Um,
0: Went yeah. super heavy on the control side.
1: Yeah, as far as mu as as far as control, mu can go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think if I'm gonna play in, I was thinking about playing in like the late night tournament, the one in the morning tomorrow. If I play in that tomorrow, I'm just gonna play Pedro or Pablo's. I keep messing him up. I'm just gonna play Pablo's. It's because we're talking deck, about Pedro next. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, Pedro on the mind. Yeah, um, and yeah. also
0: I will say if you uh, have not watched Pablo versus Tord, it was a really good set overall. Um, but game one specifically, Pablo just I mean, it it was really like a master class on how to play the matchup. I mean, he drew well, obviously, which is a good part of it, and then he didn't draw very well in game two and game three, which led to Tord obviously getting into the finals. Um, honestly, maybe it's better though that Tord won in top four. You know, I mean, I'm friends with Pablo and Tord. I'd be happy to have seen either of them make it to the finals, uh, but just for like competitiveness sake right if pablo makes it to the finals it's just pablo versus alex's double Drapion, and it's, it's rocks
1: rocks path prey <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that's what you got to do and you got to just hope that's enough but um maybe it's a little better that toward just for like the competitive sense of things that toward ended up getting the win but
1: i saw pablo tweeted out that uh that he thought he threw against Yeah, Tord. i'm
0: kind of curious as well i about didn't watch that. it at all i i though. didn't think he threw, and I'm, I'm I haven't talked to him yet to see you, exactly what he was talking about. Because yeah,
1: then you just said that they he dead drew twice. I was like, how could you throw? He if didn't he dead draw. Through? He just
0: didn't draw super well. Okay. Um, it was just kind of like clunky. And in game two, he, um, I wonder if this is what he's talking about, where he he started a mew and then had like nest ball plus VIP pass, and he chose to just get three Genesect, which I think is probably correct. But he then only had one mew in play and then didn't draw very well off of his Genesects, and then he attacked with that Mew, and then eventually it went down before he could ever find another Mew V, and then he was just going to be mm. too far behind and conceded pretty much right away.
1: So I yeah, wonder that's if a that's tough... what
0: he's talking about. And yeah, I agree. It is always really tough to to that's decide a, yeah. in that instance.
1: Yeah, have, yeah, that situation comes up all the time with you. That's always a tough situation to actually break down. as to which was better? Do so you get the triple Genesect now, so you get that like, potential actual card on the third Genesect, or you get the second Mew, which gives you like a cleaner... Um, more stuff so to do with the potential card you draw into uh, by having the second mew in play. Yeah, so it's a tough so, situation. I think he's probably I'm being be a little curious, too hard though. on
0: himself to call it a throw.
1: Um, yeah.
0: assuming that's what he's talking about, at least. But I mean, it's tough to be in that high pressure situation, and like, not high pressure. I mean, it is high pressure, but Pablo's obviously someone who's <laughs> who's very. He, I, I would say Pablo is probably comfortable, and he's been in those spots yeah. plenty of times, right? <laughs> so I don't yeah. expect him to be someone to like fall under the pressure. Um, so yeah i don't know i I think it's he's probably just you know he's a he's a tough competitor and he's probably just being hard on himself
1: seems like it probably and then we can Um, move on and now let's talk about pablo's deck no (laughs) you (laughs) did not say that (laughs) oh my gosh dude oh (laughs) pedro dude i actually did (laughs) now let's talk about pedro's deck so pedro played the Sablezard. um and I guess I'll talk about like the differences between like what we played and what Pedro went with here. Yeah, um, his deck
0: is pretty similar to what you guys ended yeah. up on. Probably like what seven to eight cards different, something like
1: that. Pretty close. Yeah, actually, quite a few pl- quite a few players who played tables are like we're all we're all pretty close. Um, so the the one thing that I like wasn't really interested in playing at all. That so that uh, Pedro did play here was the Drapion, of course. The Drapion gave you the Mew matchup. You basically just beat Mew if you play it. Um, it's not something that really concerned me at all personally, but. Know, looking back on it. Maybe should have. And then the one thing I, do, the only thing I really don't like about uh, Pedro's list is the two Sableye. But besides that, like uh, it's just like the difference, the big difference is like lack of cross switchers, um, but goes for like more boss. So has two boss instead of cross switchers has the Clara um, and then has the Raihan as well. So just more supporters. Oh, and Roxanne. So has a little bit of an edge in the mirror with the Roxanne and the, uh, the Roxanne um so that's kind of like the basic no cross switches, but you just have more cards in there as well so you got the Drapion for the new matchup and then the mil is kind of cool as well because Tank stops the hatterini v or reggie lucky v hit and run strategy into a clef key because they just can't hit the Tank. so you can sit there and build up your Tank, and they start attacking with it if they don't do something else so it just kind of force them to do something else there's actually like a pretty cool um setup that you can uh put into play here with the Tank. so that makes that that is the Tank is pretty cool for that reason to be honest so i do kind of like it
0: yep had all the kind of normal stuff that you guys had as well. Had the Echoing Horn, the Pidgeot yep. plus Forest Seal Stone, the Halucha, those techs, are, the Halucha being kind of like the tech for the Mirror. It's pretty good against like. It's good against everything to be yeah. Like it can
1: always come up. The Halucha is just cool. It also allows you to board lock your opponent and then create a bench space um, on that turn. Like I say, you, like this, the Sable like auto wins Guja. It's like a like a 90 10 matchup, maybe even. Like it's in, in, it's like insanely good for Sables um so because all you do is like you play out of rock sand range and then you just draw four prize cards in one turn so you go like escape rope plus boss zard back the guja into the active and then halucha ko double comfy and then charge out for two and that's four prize cards in a turn yeah um, it's not possible to do that without the echoing horn so if you don't have echoing horn they get to set up two gujas and only put like comfy comfy greninja in play but if they mess up an attack with cram early and then have cram greninja comfy comfy then you can still punish them the same way um, but without horn, you can't kind of force that fourth one prizer into play. So it's kind of important to play the horn for that matchup. Um, I'd be interested to see if the Gujra player could play it with only putting two one prizes in play. If they can do yeah. that, then it gets interesting. Sure.
0: Yeah, Pedro did beat Aiden in top
1: eight, I'm pretty sure yeah. as well. So that was the
0: matchup there. Um, and it's kind of interesting too, because you're just used to seeing like Gudra versus Lost Box is usually pretty good for Gudra. But I mean, this is such a different deck, right? It's not the the Greninja, and Dragonite stuff that we're used to seeing.
1: Yeah, because like the, the Lost Box, the Mirage Lost Box was don't play the Echoing Horn, so they can't, force, they can't force that fourth prize card into play, but the Echoing Horn makes a big difference there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the Four Shield song was actually insanely good. We didn't put it into the deck until the night before the tournament, though. We didn't have it in there for a while. Um, but yeah, I'm glad did. You just had did.
0: PGIV like, floating around by
1: itself? I mean, you got, just that's, that's how Mawile? you the to... Yeah, you need it for the Mawile Trap. Because um, Lugia doesn't burn any cards to play the game, so you're always sure. decking out first, even once sure. you get the lock set up. So You kind of need the Pidgeot. But yeah, the Force Stone was yeah, definitely a really good inclusion. <laughs> I'm glad we came to the, uh, came to that, uh, figuring that out for sure, because definitely worth the space.
0: Oh yeah, um, seems very good.
1: Yeah, was then... really cool right now. I think it's like definitely, I, I mean, it feels like not that many people knew about it uh, going into the tournament. Um, and I think it might be the better of the two lost box decks, to be honest. It's probably close. Mirage is definitely still very strong. It didn't have a great finish overall. But, um, yeah, Sablezard definitely was under the radar, I think, going into the tournament. But now it's very much on the radar moving forward.
0: For sure, yeah. I'm interested to see if maybe that ends up, maybe not the next tournament, but, like, a couple tournaments down the line if Sablezard is becoming the more popular way. I know Joe Bernard was, like, a big proponent yeah. of the, of oh, yeah. the
1: Sablezard. <laughs> Joe actually got like, seemed like it got kind of a little mad on Twitter. Like, leading up to the tournament, it's like, you're all idiots for not thinking that, <laughs> or not respecting Sablezard. It was, it felt like, it felt like unprovoked, Um, but I think Joe was, I don't even know what Joe was like, responding to Um, either. It was funny. Yeah, you can try and find Just the disres- tweet. Disrespecting yeah. Sablezard. Stop disrespecting Sablezard. Where's the, yeah, can you find it? It's gotta be a little bit further down. I, I oh, here we go. Why Why
0: is everyone hating on Zard builds of Lost Box? It's absolutely a deck. Has the room to play Vacuums <laughs> to Ten Race and Mirror and can go back to playing Quad Path to bo- to Bully, Lugia, Mew, and Guardy. I swear no one actually plays this game. The phrase, in my testing, triggers me. They lion.
1: <laughs> it's funny because... Uh, so, Quad Path sucks. Don't play Quad Path in your Sable Zard deck. That's awful. But the... Uh... <laughs> It's funny because Joe's making this statement based off in my testing on his side of it. And then um, this reads like when I feel like this, that the, the Joe's tweet reads like someone is mad in my YouTube comments when I say their deck sucks. <laughs> That's why I found it so funny because I was like, this comes off as if Joe is reading, is, is someone posting a comment in my YouTube section after I say Maridon sucks or something. No, actually, Maraedon doesn't suck. You can play four Path for the Cardi matchup.
0: Yeah, you just have to play Maraedon my way, right? You're just yeah, gonna... if
1: you, yeah, if you <laughs> play Sablezard right. my way. Yeah, don't put yeah. Path in your Sablezard, but uh, yeah, I thought it, that was definitely a very funny teaser. It just felt so unprovoked from Joe. I don't know. Or maybe that's maybe that's part of it. Maybe Joe was just trying kind of memeing. Like, Joe thought Sablezard was good and then was also like, how can I make this look like a YouTube comment? Uh, Cause that just reads like a YouTube comment to nah, me. Nah, bro, um, it's
0: genuine for sure.
1: <laughs> <Joe's> <laughs> know, Joe, confirm Joe. If you're listening to this, confirm in the comment section. <laughs> how, uh, how? I think Joe watches tweet? every
0: week, so he'll he'll let us know. He'll let us know.
1: Um, um, yeah, take a look at uh, Aiden's list. It's nothing too ridiculous, right? The double drapion, I think, is like the one of the bigger stands out. The crystal cave is also something I hadn't seen, yeah. in many, if any. Uh, decks. Um, and that can make cause a little bit of trouble. I think for Sables are just like a teeny bit. They just need to commit a little bit more Sable damage, uh, Sable eye damage to the Gudras. Um, but yeah, basically, the the gears and the Melanie and the the choice belt, like everything is pretty. I feel like straightforward here. Uh, in this Guja, but there's nothing too spicy. The spicy thing that I had seen from Gudra decks leading up to the event was like a one of Sable eye to kind of help clean up KOs that the Gujra was like hitting into. That's why I said you can do it with Greninja though. You just use Radiant Greninja to do that cleanup instead of like a Sable eye. But yeah, um, yeah, pretty clean, pretty straightforward. Is the job done?
0: Yeah. I mean, it seems good. We already talked about this a little bit, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But I mean, I think that a lot of people moving forward into Gudra, like, this is probably where they'll start, right? Yeah. Um, which is, could, like... I mean, it's not uncommon, right? Like, people who want to play a deck go look at the most recent tournament, go look at the top eight, and they, if there's a deck they want to play, they base their list off of that top eight list, right?
1: Yeah. And I think uh, just kind of speak to Aiden in general. Aiden's a player, you know, just won uh, Charlotte regionals, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, has been a, like a pretty solid player for a pretty long time. We usually see them pushing for, you know, top eight, top 16 at most North American regionals. Um, uh, But I would say up to this point, up until kind of, even though I hated on E-Turn Weezing, it's like an okay deck. Um, And at this event, I think Gujo was like a pretty good play. But I think prior to that, Aiden usually played pretty bad decks, like Lost Box, Pika- Flying Pikachu, and I don't know. I, NAIC played Arceus and Talion Flying Pikachu. So like pretty mid-decks, but Aiden, you know, picking up some better decks, seeing some better results. I think Aiden will be like a definitely push to be like a constant you know big name threat at future tournaments from here on out as long as they put the flying pikachu away
0: (laughs) just keep the flying (laughs) pikachu in the back pocket bro that's something you need to tell yourself though to be honest that's all you need to write at one tournament yeah but yeah you played it at one tournament but every single every single tournament every single meta is like Hey, yo, is there a way we can pull back out the flying pea? <laughs> well, I just it's it's sorry, it's Arceus it It's Arceus Biberil, right? But...
1: <laughs> Arceus Biberl. Now, there's a deck that's a combo right there. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's, take at... <laughs> let's take Hold a look at
0: now. Let's take a look at these
1: two Lugia builds uh, Trevor Reed and Eric Rodriguez. We'll start with Trevor's. Now, both of them did play the Dura V Max, which seemed to actually be a more popular inclusion than I realized until after the event. Um Also, uh, yeah, there's a couple other notable players that I noticed at the event who are also playing the Duraludon VMAX. Some people playing the Single Strike. Urshifu as well was like another thing. Um, But uh, yeah, what do you think about the... What do you think about the Duraludon VMAX, Chip?
0: I mean, I think it makes sense, right? It it was pretty obvious going into the tournament. Lugia, as it was built previously, just lost to a Duraludon, right? There was nothing they could do about it. They just lost to a Duraludon. That's something people could easily try to exploit. Um, And Duraludon VMAX just kind of slots in it can also it just hits through all effects in general so there's tons of other situations where it can come up um if you go against the mirror and they don't play Duraludon you just win the mirror by setting up your Duraludon VMAX right um and it's just overall like it's a strong attacker it's got a lot of HP its ability is really annoying for something like a Mew granted I guess you probably don't really want to use it against Mew. you probably want to just rely on Tyranitar plus Tall, right but
1: yeah um yeah i mean
0: it's probably just got legs in in it's it's just overall pretty solid it does force you to play more of the impact energies but i don't think you really mind that too much i mean it's really a single strike focused deck so you don't mind having to commit more single strike energies to your list
1: yeah it doesn't definitely doesn't hurt too much you do like lose out on the there's no regenerative energy in this build specifically we see here which is like whatever i guess um, but it's got the uh, got the gifts, got the uh, the V guard still, which is like the more important of the two kinds of energy, I think as well. Uh, and yeah, with, with Duraludon being an easy answer or an easy card to set up in the Duraludon uh, or against Lugia, it's also an answer against Duraludons against your Lugia build right <laughs> so it does both things right like oh if you're playing against a lugia player that doesn't play an answer to Duraldon, well you just win and if yeah, you're playing up against insert the a... spider man
0: meme right here yeah. right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and if you play if you're playing up against a Duraldon deck that is using Duraldon against your lugia deck so that way they can theoretically get an auto win because lugia usually can't hit through the uh, ability of Duraldon. well now you have Duraldon to hit through the ability of Duraldon, right So it kind of gives like a safety net. It's like a really powerful attacker, like one hit KO's Gudra, like like Gudra. You just auto-win now basically. You set up your Duraludon, you're like one hit, one hit, one hit, right? Yeah. Um, so it's really good against the Gudra, really good in Mirror, really good as an answer to other Duraludons, really good against Arceus decks. Like, yeah, the Duraludon is is pretty sick in there for sure. It might become a, a staple moving forward, I feel like.
0: Yeah, I expect to see that be the case. Something else Trevor had in here that a lot of people didn't is the double Lumineon. I think Eric also had double Lumineon, right? That was something everyone. That...
1: Everyone plays double Lumineon. That's when a standard. That's this. That's when standard sets day one and in post rotation.
0: Yeah. For some reason for post rotation, I was thinking it was one Lumineon in list, no. but maybe I'm, I'm. I might be tripping there. Everyone's been running the two. Okay. Okay. Uh, but the the real card that I know for a fact you can't call me out on this one. People were not running but is, it actually seems pretty good, and I like the theory behind It's the Thornton, the one of Thornton yep. in here. Um, let's you be a little more skimpy on your attackers, and it's also an out to something like Mawile, right? Yep. They kind of the works Mawile multiple out. ways.
1: Yeah, there was uh, a couple players who at the event who were trying to make sure me and my group didn't know they had the Thornton. Actually, I think Trevor was maybe part of their group for this tournament. Um, I'm not 100% sure, because this looks like this looks looks super familiar or super similar to what they were playing so trevor might have been working with them i actually don't know um uh, Nathaniel Kaplan and Noah. I'm not sure if they were working with Trevor or not, but the list looked very similar. But they had the Thornton as well. Uh, and they were trying to make sure <laughs> me and my group didn't know about their Thornton because they knew we were playing them all while so that they could catch us with us to beat it if we ran into them. And I said, I actually was at the this same is the record same as the same
0: 60 as uh, Josh Fernando.
1: Okay. So, no, actually, it could be the exact Oh, no. So it's not the exact same. So it's been pretty close, though. It looked very it looks very similar. It's very close to theirs. Um, uh, because they had the Thornton. You could probably find one of them in day yeah. two if you really wanted to. We could compare. Them. Yeah. Um, so I knew they were working with like a couple other players as well. I know it wasn't just them too, but um, but yeah, the Thorn, yeah, gives you the get allows you to create more attackers out of nowhere, and then also yeah, doubles as an out to Wallwild, which is pretty sick as well. So it gives you all the um, gives you all the outs. Yeah, that's yeah, it. That's the other list.
0: Nathaniel Kaplan, Leo uh, Orozco, Orozco, and Noah right. Yoshida's day two lists all played good. Yeah. The- I think it looks like their difference is they had two Tyranitar still in addition to the Thornton.
1: Think, oh, wait, two TR over the Evital. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, no Evatol. That's it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and then yes, the I was gonna seems go good ahead. from. Can... No, I
0: was going to say seems good from Trevor, and then also we had the other Lugia list from Eric Rodriguez. Eric's actually a friend of both of ours, so I mean, I I was pretty hyped to see Eric in top eight. I'm sure you were as well. Um, he's been playing for a long time. He's a good dude. So yeah, congratulations to Eric on the strong finish. And he and Jose Morero both played this list. Jose's a really good player, regional champion. Uh, they had the 2-2 Duraladon and also had Tower of Darkness in here. So no Mesa which is, I don't know. I mean, it's a, Mesa Goza's pretty good
1: <laughs> in
0: <laughs> your Lugia deck, but... So
1: only a 3-2 Lugia.
0: Yeah, that's true as well. That's true as well. I mean, they're kind of, maybe... <laughs> just importing from uh you know you know what it might be jose i'm gonna go find his deck picture jose always plays max rarity cards maybe he didn't have time to get in the third alternate art oh no he played the full art Luigi. not even the alternate art come on jose bro we gotta step it up
1: <laughs> i actually I'm, actually it's funny i talked to jose about that before he just likes to play his favorite art as opposed to the most expensive uh, one i'm pretty sure so got it got it got it, but it usually ends up being the most expensive one <clears throat> you can even see he's got the expensive t-tars in there too yeah, yeah jose is always blinging um but yeah this one feels i didn't look at this list really at all yet definitely skimping on some stuff for sure tower of darkness is something that i actually like when i first like theoried a list of lugia i had four tower of darkness in there but i didn't ever really test the four tower of darkness but i could see that being better than Mezagosa to be honest especially in a build like this where you have so much single strike stuff that will be more excess right you'll probably run into situations in matchups where you don't need your cheetahs or your or your duralidons um i mean Impact you've got two energy. two Duraladon,
0: right as well yeah so you have like a
1: lot of extra potential single strike stuff matchup to matchup so the I tower of darkness, darkness like, themselves yeah so i could see like a quad tower of darkness build potentially being a little bit better but i think the real thing that it's missing out on is just ways to find your lugias okay no me- so you have like only a three two lugia line and then no Mezzagosa as well right
0: yeah relying on having
1: it's one like in the Bur- opening hand or- like burnett's like it's a super high super heavily relying on burnett that's the way it feels
0: to just discard your archaeops yeah yeah but i mean i don't i don't know i mean i feel like you end up going the burnett route a lot of the time it's nice when you don't have to though right if you're able to use your Illuminium to just go get your research it's obviously way better than going to get burnett but you can't really do yeah. that if you're you know not going to be discarding any archaeops you, you got to rely on the safety net of <laughs> having that burnett a lot of times did have the regenerative energy in here it's a pretty good card against lost box but Um, When I was playing Lugia before the tournament, what I found a lot of times is just, like, if I was only putting one V-Star in play and then just attacking with T-Tar, right, and then, like, I started my Lugia V, then I didn't really get a chance to even use the regenerative energy. So I I think it makes sense that people are moving away from it. It does seem good, though.
1: I think as a one-of, it's still probably solid. I think it's hard to get value out of more than one of them throughout a game. Um, there might be some matchups that like develop moving forward where you can like attack with Lugia V and then evolve it to Lugia V star afterwards. I think that could be a possibility. But as of right now, I don't think those matchups really exist too much. So I'd say probably one is okay, but going down to zero seems fine as well. Um, which actually I did want to shout one more Lugia list out while we're kind of on the topic of Lugia before we get to that last top eight list was uh, the Australian list from or I don't know if it's the Australian list, but Matthew Burris played it. Um, everyone was talking about capturing aroma versus great ball. Well, Burris played four of each. So I just wanted to mention that uh, into as far as the Lugia list. Go another way to look at Lugia. Um maximizing consistency, it kind of feels like in this build. Four capture and aroma, four great balls, still has the mezzagosas. So no, no regenerative energy as well, and a little bit heavier on the gift energy with four of those. So what's he now? Uh, and then also playing? four for Lugia. No radiant Pokemon, so no Serena. Yeah. Uh, no Nest Balls yeah um, okay which i don't i don't hate that trade-off of great ball for nest balls to be honest because sure and he's got um, the four the four b
0: star as well yep so like higher chance that you're gonna see it off of you know see something you want off great ball right
1: yeah um, but it feels like definitely max consistency i mean it feels like the gimmicks for lugia were definitely the the bigger deal this tournament than max consistency for sure so but another way to look at lugia i thought i would bring that up because i thought the list was interesting for sure
0: yeah i had not seen this one yet so definitely worth noting and then the final deck to make top eight and the biggest surprise is the (laughs) ride on played by robert kinbrum and this list as well as was super interesting there's no judge in here and we've got four or sorry three cramomatic not something i think i would have predicted going in
1: it definitely not also an echoing horn that's actually a pretty interesting inclusion as well The echoing horn yeah. um the four, four switch, switch cards. yeah yeah i feels like that's for the lost box matchup right to like put the crams the cram light combos off getting knockouts and stuff like that so i feel like that has to be for the lost box matchup Those switch cards in here do um because that's like a lot of switch cards one escape rope four switch cart and three beach court when you don't even really need to be switching like retreating is just fine right for the most part um, that feels like a lot of switch cards. Yeah. Um, so yeah, super aggressive build, right? Like, and this is kind of where I was like leading towards with my Maridon build as well. Just like I, I kind of said fully screw the lost box match, but I feel like the switch cards are in here to give you a chance. Um, but yeah, I was my list was like starting to develop towards something like this. It wasn't quite as aggressive as this was with the Kramatics. But like I had yeah, I was a pretty high lightning count at 16. Um, we see them here at 15, and then like just trying to find research turn one and play it. Um, so yeah, super aggressive build. And I think this takes advantage of um, most decks in the format i think you just come up a little bit short against the lost box decks for the most part i think guardy is also still a pretty tough matchup because they can prize trade so favorably um but your goal there is just to try and be aggressive and hope that that kind of is enough to to beat the guardy player overall but one if guardy sets up you kind of always lose the prize trade is kind of one of the problems with this uh with this uh type of deck it's like there's a couple couple matchups in the format, Lost Box and Guardi, where you can't really overcome the prize trade just by being faster than them. So,
0: Yeah, I think the multiple switch carts as well can just be good to attack back-to-back turns with Maraidon, right? Because you can yeah. switch into a Aleki and then just retreat, right? Uh, where it's like, sometimes it's easier to do that than set up a second attacker, right? Uh, and then it also lets it. you it lets you bounce between your Raikos as well in order to yeah, get I more guess. fleet footage off. So, there, I mean, there's some play there um and in i think robert was streamed twice in both of those games uh he fleet footed a lot (laughs) drew a lot of cards (laughs) off right
1: i guess maybe that's the reason for the more than anything is to fleet footed for a for a card (laughs) maybe that's it like more cards is better right more cards is good yeah i guess yeah i could see it um yeah, yeah. I mean good combination of both those things, right? It's good in the lost box matchup. It's good for resetting your Maridon if you get another attack off. I'm still not really that big of a fan of Maridon, to be honest personally. But I think, yeah, an aggressive build like this, I think you're you're looking pretty good against stuff like Lugia, uh like Mew, uh, and stuff like Gudra as well. I would imagine their Gujra matchup is, is like fine as well. So, like those kind of decks, I think you're you're doing pretty good against, but I still think you come up really short up against the Guardian matchup, the lost box matchup, stuff like that. So I'm still not a huge fan of Maridon personally. Um, but I don't know, maybe even mentioned on the cast. I wouldn't be that surprised if it made a top eight. We do see it making a top eight here. And I think let's take a look at, actually I'm curious now, where was the next best performing Maraidon player? 71st, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right.
1: (laughs) Pretty far down.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they definitely, there were five Maraidon in day two. One got top eight, and then the rest were 71st through 152nd, out of 158. So Maraidon overall did not have the strongest i don't know i mean i think if you get a top eight it's fair to say the deck had a pretty solid showing right um eh,
1: i wouldn't say so i would say the the player like yeah okay sure, sure i would sure. the deck didn't have a solid showing the player and their specific build of the deck had a good showing right but like a deck having a good okay. showing would be like i don't know if any deck had like that big of a standout of a showing at this tournament in general to be honest like um i'd say maybe arc piles would be the standout deck for uh kind of conversion right plus how well they did would be the the kind of thing to look at we see like one at 10th um from michael bergerac which is the same list as shemansky i believe i actually thought bergerac was going to be winning this tournament once i figured out what bergerac was playing um or at least like pushing for cut because i think bergerac had was it came in at like 7-1-1 or something like that um so i had a little bit of an advantage on shemansky i think shemansky came in at 6-2-1 so and had to go 6-0 to push for for, push for a top eight um Yeah, I think that would be like the standout. De- arc pile would be the the standout decks from the tournament because we also had Brayden Alford at uh twelfth place with yeah. a different take on the deck.
0: It's so tough. I just pulled up the PokerStats live page for Bergerac. So he came in at seven one one and he went uh four one one on the day and didn't make top eight. That's pretty wild. I don't know.
1: Yeah, need one more. Need more one point. more.
0: He, so yeah, he was he was one of the bubble players at 11 two two and thirty five match points. It's just tough. These tournaments yeah. are so big. Um. You then... gotta be
1: gotta be perfect or almost to push that top eight. And then Josh Frank as further. well was
0: on the same sixty, and I believe they finished top sixty four. Yeah, forty eighth place.
1: Yeah um
0: yeah so yeah i mean arceus decks in general Braden elford as well at 12th place he played an arc flying pikachu deck that's a little bit different this is kind of
1: what we were testing before the tournament was something very similar to this and this is because i played against Braden uh in a game on my stream (laughs) leading up to the tournament. i was like it made me think about the deck a little bit more so we tested out something similar to the uh similar to what Braden actually ended up bringing uh and we weren't like blown away by it so we didn't really put too much more effort into it but i think there is something there for sure i think arceus and i think i've been saying this like since the format has started i think arceus is good Now, what is best with Arceus might change meta to meta, tournament to tournament, tournament to tournament meta. And that's the thing that's so cool about
0: Arceus, right? Like, it's colorless. It's just super strong um, on its own. The biggest thing. And you can put it with anything.
1: The biggest thing is your Arceus V just isn't under as much threat as it has been turn two. Like Mew, of course, is probably going to KO your Arceus V turn 2, but you kind of have that magic cover with on Lugia is not super consistent at always pulling off a turn 2 attack, and sometimes it has to be with their Lugia, so Guard War stops your Arceus V from getting KO'd. And then stuff like Lost Box, sometimes they can get there. Um, stuff like Guard is not KOing your Arceus V turn 2 very often. Like, your Arceus Vs are just like a lot safer than they have been in in like the last format. So I think Arceus is in like a pretty good... Um... Arceus in general, what you pair it with is going to change, I think. But I think Arceus in general is just in a pretty good spot.
0: I think the last, there's a, hold on, we could uh,
1: mention two decks. We want to talk about first 11th. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: First is Tobias with the Intellian Urshifu. We talked about this a little bit last week on the cast. Neither of us is like a super, I don't know. I I think we were both like played
1: with it. Haven't played
0: it much. (laughs) Yeah. But I think like recognizing like, this is a deck that can just make plays like this deck can cool deck so much stuff right with the combination mm-hmm. of Alcazam with the yoga loop with the double gunner super cool deck for sure um and i think that m- maybe the reason i mean 11th place is obviously an incredible finish that's a bubble out of top eight i believe or maybe it, that would have been one of the first 34 pointers um from tobias but um maybe the reason that this deck didn't do better is just people haven't put the time in for it right because yeah. i think like for a deck like this y- y- you gotta have the flow chart figured out for every matchup and the flow it's not like a deck like you know sometimes you have to have the flow chart figured out but the flow chart is pretty similar in a lot of matchups i think the flow chart is very different matchup to matchup for this deck
1: yeah and you have like a bunch of stuff like you have a 2-1 drapey online in there you have the 2-2 urshifu like i don't even know if urshifu is necessary in some of your matchups Uh, maybe you always want the threat of the the knockouts but i feel like the deck also just like um
0: tobias went 5-1 in day two by the way
1: yeah and then couldn't push for the Lost even push to the top
0: eight. Lost to Robert mm-hmm. in round 14. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that seems like a tough matchup, right? The uh yeah, yeah, even yeah. with the Urshifu stuff, I feel like it's just like a two prize trade-off, and they're just getting the first two prize cards like every time. They're putting a lot of pressure on you very fast. Um, but yeah, I think a deck like this, like and I feel like this is this deck, like we kind of talked about the arc anti-meta decks. Like you want to be able to know a little bit more what's going on in the meta. Maybe like that's what the Italian needs a little bit more info on in general, right? Like yeah. I feel like you definitely want to take some L's somewhere, like even mm-hmm. to Mew and cut the Drapion stuff to be a little bit more consistent.
0: Robert's other one of Robert took three losses one of them was to Lugia I mean you're gonna lose sometimes right um even if you think it's a good matchup and then round two lost to a different Maraidon. <laughs> yeah so yeah two so Maridons yeah even with losses. the Urshifu
1: Maridon's pretty tough which makes sense like it doesn't matter that you can have the Urshifu for the 1-8 KO like they're just hitting so hard so fast they're still keeping up in the price trade back and forth so it doesn't matter if you have it so
0: yeah this deck is really cool i think we'll see more people spend some time now that there's like a good performing list from yeah. an actual major tournament not just like people playing it online i think people will start to put more time into this deck and we could see it This is something i think we could see more from i mean i wouldn't be surprised to see one of these in top eight in portland to be honest um yeah, definitely and then we got a couple of Mewtwo Guardians. You want to say anything about Mewtwo Guardi?
1: No. I mean, I just I, that's what I was just gonna make note. Yeah, yeah Mewtwo Guardi didn't place in top eight. We saw the best performing Guardi just be a straightforward consistent build of Guardi from Tord. Um but we saw a couple of Mewtwo's pushing for top eight uh, overall. <clears throat> we got the Pedro Petrucci, who's been a top performing player from Brazil. Um I think they got actually I think he's number one for, Brazil
0: right now, number one Yeah, Latin America.
1: Got top sixteen at OCIC and then top eight at uh, Sao Paulo as well. Yeah. So has been killing it lately. Um, played the Mewtwo Guardi. Fill up the Sousa. Sousa? Uh, yeah. Also with the Mewtwo Guardi. So yeah, still a good deck. Still a good way to play the deck. I don't know if it's better than uh, Straightforward Guardi. Um, I think your Lost Box matchup you have more options in, but is it worth the consistency trade-off? Who knows? Uh, but I think, yeah, the, the last deck we probably definitely want to talk about. Let's see what something else was, of course, Sander's deck.
0: (laughs) Yep, that's, yeah, wow, it doesn't even fit on the page all at once. But, (laughs) uh, yeah, I mean, this is the guy that everyone's looking at whenever the tournament starts. What is Sander playing? You know he's going to be playing some sort of control deck. And there's a lot of things happening here, a lot of different options, two different energy types. There's an Ursa Luna V. I literally went through my bulk today, my bulk Vs, and pulled out. Some Ursuluna Vs that I had set aside to just bulk off. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess I got to keep this one. Um, yeah, I don't Jeez. know. A lot going on. Uh, so Azul, you played against Sander, yeah. right? So yeah, and that was a pretty... You got to it firsthand.
1: Yeah, pretty uneventful matchup for me. The matchup's pretty terrible for Sablezard because your energy, your damage cap is so low because they're not drawing prize cards. I think, like, up against a normal loss Box build with a Dragonite, it's going to be a little bit closer of a matchup. But, well, yeah, why can I only do 12 damage counters with Sableye? It's almost impossible to beat the Penny Crabominable, B- Crabominable V-Mill loop that, uh, that they can set up. So, yeah, the matchup is basically impossible for Sablezard. Um, I don't know how a lot of your other matchups actually play out. Um, but the idea of the deck in general is to abuse Penny. You see there's three Penny in the list. There's a Team Yell's Cheer in the list. There's three Pow Pad. Penny you pick up a basic Pokemon. So the idea is you put something in the active that is annoying for your opponent to deal with. In this case, for me, it was literally anything that had more than 12 <laughs> HP. And then next turn, you can Penny it up after they hit it and send up something else. Um, so one of the combos like that, uh, what uh, Santa was basically doing against me was like leave uh, Ursa Luna V in the active. I'd hit it, then pick up the Ursaluna B. Ursula V, set up the mill two cards, repeat, right? Um, something you can do uh, kind of in general if you need to take knockouts though is you have the Mimikyu V in there with the ability Dummy Doll, which is when you put it into play, it can't be can't be hit by any damage from your opponent's attacks by anything. Um, nothing can hit Mimikyu V. So you put Mimikyu V in play as your only Pokemon. You uh, Penny whatever your active is. You send up the Mimikyu V, you attack, and you put three damage counts on their Pokemon for how many prize cards they've drawn. So let's, if they've drawn five prize cards, you're doing what, 150 damage, and then they can't do anything, and then you punch the Mimikyu, and then you Penny it up, and you repeat, and then you Palpat two Penny back into your deck, and you just keep going until you draw your six prize cards, right? So uh, it's got the Shadow Rider V in there for the Mew matchup. Um, you got the Mawile in there for trapping stuff like Luminions in the Lugia matchup, um, and then you have Cry of Destruction as well, actually, is like kind of a big key to your Lugia matchup as well. Lugia deck is a lot more fragile um, to Yivital now um so if you have like a Lugia and you're active or something and then you give it all the energy off it i mean they can't really attack with the Lugia again you can you have a little bit more recovery with your single strike attackers but not even that much like give is just like really really good against uh lugia now so and then you can end up like mawile trapping pretty much anything in that deck it doesn't even have to be like a Luminian or like the serena if they just like you could even trap archaeops like one of the plays you can actually do in like the sable zard with the mawile is you can like towards the end of the game um you can like trap an archaeops with mawile and then they put three energy on that Archaeops and knock you out. And then you just, like, claw them all a while back, double cross switcher up the other Archaeops, and then trap that. And then they don't have enough energy to attack with that Archaeops. So you can do something similar in this, but you remove the energy with the Yvital. Um So, yeah, it's a really cool deck. It's got a lot of weird win conditions, but the core of the deck is kind of a penny loop between Pokemon. Yep. Um, I guess with the Pot Helmet plus V-Guard energy, Abominable can't be KO'd by Dragonite, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Wait, can Pot Helmet
1: yeah. be put on a V-Pokemon? Uh no, no, it oh. can't.
0: It can't it uh so I guess it can't, you can, use it can be, but it can't be. it's it's uh what's it called?
1: you do Ursa Luna plus V Guard energy. And I think I'm um, I was theorizing one of one of uh You don't the even need V Guard energy, bro. This thing has two sixty effect Oh yeah. I was theorizing that what that the wind condition for uh, Sander up against Lost Box because of the Dragonite was probably just send up Ursaluna. They hit it, and then what you do is you just penny Ursa Luna enough times that Sander would actually knock out their whole own bench with Dragonite. I think it's <laughs> definitely reasonable. So that was my yeah. theory as to Sander's win condition against uh Dragonite Lost Box. That was probably the win condition is you just send up Ursaluna and eventually the Dragonite KOs your own bench before you run out of like the penny loop. Because the penny loop also in- isn't infinite. It's infinite against like a deck like mine because I'm not actually putting enough pressure to threaten KOs. Yeah. Um because I can't even KO Reggie Lucky. Uh so you can set up the Reggie Lucky, recover a Pal pad, Pal pad recovers two penny, repeat. So yeah, the deck is uh the deck's super cool. And I think definitely could be something we see more people pick up moving forward because it seems like it has it's not super gimmicky based on your opponent not playing a certain out. It just seems like it's a pretty strong deck in general. I'm actually curious, could you pull up uh the live? Uh, for Sander. I'm actually yeah. curious to what Sander actually even lost to.
0: Sander lost to Robert, the Maridon player, lost to okay. a Tina, and then lost to Oscar Rivera's playing a lost box deck. Looks like with Galarian Voltrace. That doesn't and do anything. What's the no, What's the other upside down? There's card? no Dragonite.
1: Uh this is a Halucha. Oh. I guess so maybe the Snorlax some... puts on enough pressure. I don't yeah. think so though. The yeah, horn that's could have caught him, I guess, as well
0: yeah maybe he just had Surprise a bad draw horn.
1: yeah that's what i was trying that's how i was trying to beat sander was trying to hold my horn for <laughs> well he played enough. you
0: right after this guy so he was probably yeah. well aware he was like i'm not losing to another horn you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> just assume
1: it you just, if you got surprised by horn last round assume they have a horn this round yeah yeah it was probably a 1-0 though so it was like probably oscar maybe squeaked out a game because that definitely doesn't seem like this seems like to be tough maybe i just don't know how to play the matchup and there's like some other key to the matchup i didn't pick up on but it felt pretty impossible
0: yeah, he did beat another Sablezard that he played. He beat a Dragonite in round three. This guy made day mm-hmm. two, Maro uh, Wandolf, he Had a guardie. Had a couple ties, yeah, with the Urshifu deck as well.
1: Yeah, lost on Tina seems like a bad matchup. I don't think you're being Lost on Tina.
0: Yeah, and then think, Lost uh, to the, to probably just the aggression of, of the, uh, the Maraidon.
1: Yeah. And doesn't have it. Yeah. That damage is so high from a ride on and you, the mill tanks not saving you waiting for the Mimikyu. I bet Sander was hoping that the Mimikyu would be. out. <laughs> yeah. I did want to point
0: out, you know, I mean, you mentioned the core of the deck here is Penny loop mimic UV being one of those options. And when Penny got revealed back in December, the very first thing Sander tweeted mimic V's best friend. So back in December, like, and he did the same thing back whenever, uh, what was it that let Eldegoss go infinite? Was it Double Turbo Energy? I guess whenever Double Turbo Energy got printed, he tweeted about double turbo Eldegoss loop. Um, and then ended up playing it, right? So, like Sander does not hide his thoughts. <laughs> you know, he's he's putting it out there on Twitter what he's thinking is good. Um, as soon as cards are revealed, right? And even here, right, this is a Japanese account that Sander retweeted showing just a Mimikyu penny and then four. Palpads. One other thing I'll note as well is this control deck does not have like a perfect infinite, but it's pretty much the same infinite as his Mewtwo V Union deck from NAIC right, where you have Palpad, Silene and Team Yell's Cheer, and the combination of those things, especially with this list having three Palpad in it, is theoretically like you have to flip an absurd amount of Double Tails for that to not let you remain infinite, right? And even if you did flip a bunch of Double Tails you could even sneak in the Regieleki if you needed to
1: yeah, it's not infinite, but you have enough resources to like win your matchups. I think. Yeah, I, well, I'm curious as to why this is. Sanders' reason for playing Crushing Hammers previously was like, well, if I play one, they might think I play more, which is fair. But people know like, now. this deck. This deck is not very good at infiniting Crushing Hammers, so I wonder if there was like a specific energy that Sander felt like they had to remove to win a matchup, or if it was the same theory of, oh, because I'm Sander, if I play one Crushing Hammer or two, they'll think I have four. Which Maybe is it's possible. for
0: the Shadow Rider yeah. against Mew potentially. But then I guess you would maybe just play Fan of Waves instead.
1: Yeah, then you would just like do Fan. Um, so that's curious. I feel like Yvatal already sets you up for the Shadow Rider play, right? You go Yevatol into Flannery plus Shadow Rider.
0: Yeah, but
1: well, that matchup does seem tough though, because Mew's judging you every turn. That does seem tough. But I guess you just try and you just try and get there. You
0: have yeah. the Curly
1: as you can set up to have some draw engine, some like recovery under the judges.
0: So yeah, super interesting one there from Sander, and that is geez, as always an hour and twenty minutes of the first section of the podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that guy, I didn't even realize we've been talking that long. <laughs> talking about new Pokemon decks is fun. Um, that's for sure. Yeah.
0: yeah, when we were talking about what we we're going to talk about this week, as well like, yeah, I mean, we don't have to spend too much time on a UIC. I was like, dude, we're we're going to talk about this for a long time.
1: <laughs> didn't realize how much time. All right, well, let's move on. Or you, go ahead, hang go ahead and. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yep. So we're gonna move on to the next segment of our podcast, but before we do that, we do want to give a big thanks to our sponsor, Dragon Shield, for you know supporting the Uncommon Energy Podcast. Dragon Shield makes tons of trading card game and just other various tabletop gaming products. Our favorite product, something that we constantly use all the time, is the sleeves. They definitely make the best card sleeves in the business. Azul and I both exclusively use Dragon Shield sleeves when we play in tournaments. I use um, also a Dragon Shield. I've got a um, a Magic Carpet, which is the setup that lets you store a bunch of cards in it. Um, and that's what I use to store my cube. I use the Dragon Shield cube shells as well. Tons of great things for Dragon Shield. They make binders as well to store your cards and... Yeah, they're products that Azul and I have both used constantly, and uh, we are big fans of them and very thankful that they are uh, wanting to support the Uncommon Energy podcast.
1: Yeah, huge shout-out to them as always. I actually was rocking the, the blood red matte sleeves for EOIC. Those are my favorite. My favorite are the mats. I definitely like switching up the colors, but yeah, I was rocking the blood reds um blood red matte sleeves for uic and um yeah they worked g- great as always no problems i got deck checked issues <laughs> in my sleeves um yeah that's it they're always high quality sleeves and can always rely on them to you know take me through a tournament with uh, without any fuss
0: yeah i've used those blood reds before actually I'm, I'm a big fan of that color it's like a deep dark red color yeah i like it
1: well cool all right Shout-outs
0: to Dragon Shield, as always, for supporting the cast. If you want to check out Dragon Shield, you can find their products at most local retailers. I've seen them at Targets and Walmarts and stuff like that. You yeah, can also check anywhere. out your local game stores. will definitely be carrying them because they, they're the best in the business. And you can also check out Dragon Shield's web shop um, online. Great place to buy cards as well. Not cards, excuse me. <laughs> uh, sleeves, <laughs> card sleeves and tons <laughs> of other gaming products. Thanks again, Dragon Shield.
1: I'm going to move on to guess that flavor text. It is my turn. I feel like for some reason, I feel like I've picked or you've picked two weeks in a row, but I don't, I think that's wrong. I just haven't remembered the other ones, but it is my turn to pick this week. Guess that flavor text is where one of us picks a card and then reads the flavor text on that card to the other host. And then that host has to guess which Pokemon the card and the flavor text belongs to. Is um, it right? Without using any lifelines, you get four points. For each lifeline you use, you get minus one point. The lifelines are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and read an attack name off the card. Ship, are you ready? I am ready. Let's do it, Azul. All right. They diligently serve people and Pokemon so they can gather feelings of gratitude. The females are particularly good at babysitting.
0: Okay, when you say gratitude, my first thought is Shaman, but this is not Shaman. Um, they serve... Oh. It's a Pokemon that's male and female splits. They have different attributes. I think I know what this is. Let me have you read it
1: one more time. They diligently serve people and Pokemon so they can gather feelings of gratitude. The females are particularly good at babysitting.
0: Particularly good at babysitting. So I I want to say this is Indeedee. I think this might be Indeedee. Um... But I don't think, that is Ndidi specifically good at babies. The fact that it mentions babysitting specifically is a little interesting. Um, I could just spike the four-pointer here, which would be pretty strong. I don't know what else this could be, and I feel pretty decent about guessing Indeedi. Um It would be pretty nice to just spike four points, but I could whittle it down a little bit more. Nah, we're spiking it. Yeah, come on, let's go. Indeedy. Is it Ndidi Azul? Yes, it is. Let's go. Four oh my points. Gosh. Four points? Has that ever happened? Has either of us ever no. gotten four points?
1: No, before I didn't think so. I was like, at first I read it, I was like, hmm, I think I feel like Chip might be able to get some pretty easy. And then I read it again. I was like, uh, eh, he'll probably if he gets it, he'll probably have to go through a few. And I thought if you asked the set, you maybe would not get it anymore. The set is fusion strike i was like if he asks the set maybe that hmm. would throw him off what
0: in DD is infusion strike is it the
1: one that like the psychic one with call for family it's like not a oh, DD. Okay, it's not okay. a real dd
0: not the one that like does more damage reach card in your hand
1: no that one could be in the set i don't know if that was in the set as i well, think that's but... in shining
0: fates actually
1: yeah so i was like hoping you i was like mm, i don't think he will get it initially but dude uh...
0: you're right though if i had asked what set it was I would have probably gotten thrown for a loop. I probably would have still come back to Indeedy, but it would have made me think yeah. a lot more because I would have not thought... Uh, there
1: was Indeedy in the set.
0: Yeah, that. I mean, it's like you said, it's not a memorable one. Well, yeah. Let's go, bro.
1: Four well, points? <laughs> it's going to take you
0: a freaking year to catch I up know.
1: now. <laughs> we were tied before this week. We were tied, and now I guess Chip is up four. So, uh, yeah, I got a lot of ground to make up, but hopefully I'm able to pull it back next week.
0: No shot, kid. I guess I'll have to give you a couple of layups now <laughs> give you a chance to come back.
1: Reasonable. All um, right. There's been a couple that I should have had, like the Ice Cube, and there was like another one I should have had, Darumaka. I
0: have given you several gimmies. Yeah, yeah. No, you got the Darumaka. Even though you said the name wrong, Eventually. we gave you the points.
1: Yeah, I knew the Pokemon. Mm-hmm. didn't know how to pronounce his name.
0: All right, well, let's move on. This is a topic that really has kind of blown up on Pokemon Twitter the last few weeks, and not, or not last few weeks, last few days. And it's not really even something that necessarily has anything to do with playing the game, but it's kind of just something that involves the Pokemon card world, so it affects collectors, players, theoretically. And it's kind of just something crazy that happened. So this post blew up on Reddit over the weekend uh, and just says, saw this in a Facebook group. Alleged printing company worker stole hits off the line and tried to offload them to an LGS. And the picture is just ridiculous. It is a (laughs) table with hundreds, I mean, thousands probably of secret rare cards from Fusion Strike specifically. We see the alternate art Espeon, the alternate art Mew, Gengar, Intellium VMAXs, variety of each of the different rainbow rares, the gold training courts. I mean, Azul, this I mean, just looking at this picture (laughs) in and of itself is pretty wild.
1: Yeah, like looking at it initially you're like, oh, they're just like kind of stacks of rare cards or like alternate arts. But then when you think about it, when you actually think about it, that stack is just only that (laughs) it's only that rare. I mean, this is like a thousand
0: espion V maxes. Yeah. Or like it's probably close to a thousand. I don't know. I mean, how big do you think each of these stacks are? Probably like it's a lot. Like three, four hundred ish, something like that.
1: It's more than three or 400. I, I don't know. I'd have to like look at an actual stack of cards, but it's think a lot. An
0: actual stack, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a lot of cards. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, the, the biggest thing I think would be how stupid do you have to be to bring it into a local game store um or it's like to to, to give a little bit of comparison again it's like these stacks of cards don't even exist when like local game stores you know get all their their product from the distributor and open it all up they don't even have they don't even have close to this i mean
0: how many packs would you have to open to get that i mean someone could probably count it out and figure out how many cards are here on the table i mean we see boxes of cards that you know are not even have cards pulled out necessarily yet i mean this has got to be it might be 10,000 cards sitting here on this table. Like, I don't think that's yeah, a ridiculous a thing. And if the pull rates of a Secret Rare, I think is like max one per box, it's probably more like one per every other box, something like that. Uh, one per 50 packs or so. I mean, that's a lot. So, I mean, this story blew up partially just because of how ridiculous the picture is, I think. But also, a lot of people seem to think that Fusion Strike had really bad pull rates, and somehow think that this, the fact that this many secret rare cards were missing from circulation, like affected the pull rates of the set overall. And my first reaction to that was like, dude, they make so many cards. There's just no way that this would ever have an impact on that. But I mean, the more you look at this picture, I mean, this is a lot of cards sitting here, but I think when you kind of think about how cards are actually packaged, which we'll talk about in a minute, it's pretty unlikely and I would say almost impossible that this actually had an impact on pull rates, but uh, it does make you scratch your head for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely didn't have an effect on pull rates with like how the car, how the, with how the packs are packaged and boot them put into booster boxes. It doesn't seem like it should have a effect on any of the pull rate stuff, but yeah, it's actually like, yeah, it's a ridiculous one. I mean, how could they even get away with that? That feels like a security <laughs> breach at the facilities.
0: Yep and uh well they fun the fact did not get away with it so a follow-up oh, they to got close story yeah, yeah but they, they only didn't close. get
1: away with it because they went to go sell it to a local game store right like that's the only reason right
0: yeah so this post I had to be like
1: you have to be so stupid if that if you end up in that position and you're gonna do this and you go through all the if you're able to get that many cards out of the facility how are you not smarter with how you get rid of them? <laughs>
0: like, I yeah, don't, so apparently they so they stupid. exchanged hands several times for mm, okay, I think okay. As well, is what what some of these posts so they were are the saying, the so. initial
1: person was pretty smart. Then they got well, it out, They got rid of them.
0: I think it came back to them, though. Is the oh. is the issue there? And that that's the problem is that this you know typically leaves a trail, right? But yeah, yeah so there's there's an update. So this post initially the first pick blew up. Said saw this in a local Facebook group, and then so. The store who this picture was taken at, they ended up making a statement in the Facebook group as well, posted and said, Many of you have recently heard the story involving stolen Fusion Strike hits and Trading Card World, which is the name of the store. I believe it is in Texas. Although the release of this information is unfortunate, the truth of the subject is as follows. TCW, the, the card shop, was approached by an individual inquiring if we were interested in purchasing hits from the set. We reviewed the pics from the seller and advised that they were either fake or stolen. Realizing the amount of packs that it would have required to obtain that quantity of hits, it seemed clear that one or the other was true. And like I said, I mean, it's probably like 50,000 packs would have needed to have been a lot to get this many cards. And that's like a stupid amount of packs. Okay. Uh, The seller explained his connection to the source and TCW immediately contacted the Pokemon corporation through proper channels the information was sent up the corporate ladder given the seriousness of the situation a high-ranking pokemon official contacted the card shop pokemon and tcw worked together to successfully retrieve and return the cards so i imagine they probably told the person yeah we'll buy them and sent them out to the shop and then pokemon recovered them right and then pokemon acknowledged uh Trading Card World for their critical contribution to the recovery of these stolen items. It was the largest return
1: of stolen property to date. Trading Card ro- World for, for what... Pokemon or in general? For Pokemon. Oh, gonna be in general. Yeah. Okay. I was like, yeah, yeah I was like, yeah. what? Is it worth that much? <laughs> was it that many cars? Holy moly.
0: Uh trading card world was asked to keep this information confidential <laughs> while an active investigation was underway. With respect to that request, TCW has kept this story and their important involvement out of the spotlight. Hope y'all can appreciate the sensational aspect of the story and help to keep the facts straight while public publicity seekers look to gain attention with misleading information. Hopefully, we don't fall into that category.
1: Um, oh, well, oh no! But that, is that why it was released now? Then is because they were under investigation and now it's over. I do. Th-
0: so there's a Pokebeach Beach article that has a little bit more information about it, right? And I'm pretty sure that they wrote in here that. Um, I'll see if I can find it. Um, cards seem to have been stolen. And we'll talk about this too. So, uh, I mean, th- cards being stolen from the factory is something that has been a big problem for the Pokemon company for the last couple of years um, as like the, the general hype around Pokemon increased, right. More people were interested in it. Cards started to be worth more money. I mean, we've seen pictures of stolen cards surfacing online much earlier than before the set comes out. Like I, I remember seeing this picture of this Charizard VMAX that they linked here on Pokemon uh, on poke beach, uh, the shiny Charizard VMAX from shining fates. I remember seeing this picture like two months before it was ever officially revealed, even in Japan yeah. to exist, right? Like, uh it was a problem for a while cards were making their way out of the facility at kind of an alarming rate almost it seems like
1: definitely and i think one thing that they've been doing to try and correct that right haven't they uh I was distracted that? for a second. Nothing.
0: <laughs> Are you trying to read this or?
1: I was. I was trying to read it on through your thing, and I should have been trying to read it on my monitor. I was trying to read it through the screen. Your uh, <laughs> the screen share. Yeah. <clears throat> um.
0: So yeah, and one thing. This is actually something I think could be possible. So. Yeah, this picture says this picture. Yeah, so the the data from the Pokebeach Beach article says the photo leaked from an internal investigation that started in September 2021 and concluded in January 2022. So it does okay. say the investigation is complete. It's been like over a
1: year, over What's a year. What's interesting too,
0: over. as well, is if the investigation started in September of 2021, I'm pretty sure Fusion Strike came out after that. The fusion strike oh. came out november 12th 2021 so yeah the person got their hands on the cards and tried to sell them to the store before the set even officially came out
1: oh yeah that's actually a huge yeah. right i mean that's I what i'm that. assuming... yeah. that's
0: what i'm assuming this means right if the, well, investigation... yeah, if the investigation
1: started in 2021 then it makes sense that they would have been trying to sell them the cards before september yeah the cards weren't even out yet
0: yeah So, I mean, that has to have rung a lot of alarm bells for (laughs) the card shop. So, I mean, I think one thing as well, we should definitely give big kudos to the card shop for doing the right thing, right, and reaching out to Pokemon. I mean, they probably could have gotten a great deal on this lot of cards since they're, you know, stolen. They could have tried to sell them over time online and probably made a lot of money, but they did the right thing, reached out to Pokemon, and got it taken care of. Um, But, yeah, one thing that (laughs) this kind of has made me wonder so, th- I mean, this was a problem for a long time, right? Like, cards were getting out of the factory way earlier than they should have been. Um, and if you remember, Pokemon actually bought the printing company Millennium Print Group, which, yeah. fun fact, is like in the same city I live in. <laughs> like, it's like, uh, you know, of the whole country. It's just funny that where the cards are made is like 20 minutes from my house. Um, but the, um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So Pokemon bought the printing company, right? And it makes yeah. me wonder if Pokemon buying the printing company had anything to do with all of these leaks, right? Was there yeah. just too much stuff getting out that Pokemon was like, all right, we're stepping in, we're buying this company, and we're going to handle the the management and, like, the security, and we're, we're going to make sure that this stuff stops happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty silly that Pokemon doesn't already own the, the company that prints their cards to begin with like that seems kind of ridiculous to me um to begin with that that wasn't already a thing but i mean i guess now they do um but yeah i don't know i guess
0: think about this as well so you are um a, a corporation in the early 2000s that's tasked with bringing well, yeah well not this... initially
1: but like when was the when did they just buy it when did they buy
0: this year in oh yeah see that
1: yeah they definitely go to like bought like 2018 or something. They probably should have bought when Pokemon was has been Pokemon's been big for a while. Sure, and they could have afforded it for a pretty long time. Um, just yeah, but to, was, and that it, might maybe be. Maybe there
0: had to be like a problem to happen for them to like justify actually buying it. I mean, because like sure I mean, that they was can that af- was they they the can,
1: catalyst probably for the decision in the end. But it doesn't mean it could have been done. This ahead is all speculation,
0: by the way. Is when I don't know any of this for sure. But yeah, I mean, this it definitely
1: seems the, like that. The timelines kind of
0: match up here
1: almost. Yeah, of right? um, them getting all their. UV max is stolen and then leading to owning the company that the muv max has got stolen from
0: so something else that poke beach pointed out here is in in a video that pokemon put out last year as well detailing kind of the process of how cards are made at millennium print group um you see employees putting these cards into these long white boxes and stored in cardboard boxes off to the side um until they are going to be sorted into packs and so that's why and that's kind of what Pokebeach here points out is that this is why it's very unlikely and if not almost impossible that any of like these cards being stolen did not affect pull rates right because of the the way that cards are sorted into into packs right because they're put on the assembly line they're randomly put into the packs you know per the ratio that whatever they set it at for this type of card this classification of card obviously all the secret rares um and you can see the white boxes in the video. It looks like the same, you know, little white long trays. It looks like Not the same really. trays that are on they're this the table. same.
1: They're, they're different. Different. They're putting in different. Uh, on the different side, though. I don't think they're the same at all.
0: Well, they're putting them sideways here, but like in this picture right here they're standing up but you can see that there's space on the side so it might no, have been like sta- no you don't think you don't think it's the no.
1: same <laughs> no okay. they're not the same because you can even see in the video right there like look at the, the picture yeah, you pulled up right there ways, you see the box yeah. you can see the box on the in the in the gaps but there's not enough room for there to the cards to be put long ways no you're um, right but yeah. yeah i definitely don't think it affected the hit ratio at all because like yeah if you put a if you're putting a ultra rare or whatever alternate art every 10 packs or whatever let's say you're still putting an alternate art every 10 packs unless it would have been different if it was all automated and it's like it's just taking yeah even then it would be weird that it, it wouldn't ever work out so yeah i don't think it's ever affected the uh the hit rate it doesn't make sense for it to um logistically unless they got to a point where they're like well we're out of alternate arts It's like okay we'll give them another comment or something that'd be the only thing that would make sense it's like well because they missed a shipment of alternate arts because they all got stolen then they were like all right just put a pikachu in there or something but yeah I don't think it, I pro- it probably did not affect the hit rates. But you said some people were speculating that, right? Because it did seem at the time when fusion strike came out, you said yeah. that people were uh sus on the, uh, the pull yeah, rates. But stuff. That,
0: I don't know. I mean, that's just stuff like people buy one booster box and get sad that they don't hit the ultra yeah. SB on VMAX. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh i don't don't know i don't think that i did see people talking about no one like on twitter a lot people were like oh no wonder the hit rates were so bad for fusion strike right this is where all this alternate arts and secret rears were um and also another thing i've seen people talk about is like we don't know if these these could possibly be um like quality control defect pulls right like if if there's something wrong with some of these cards none of them look like there's anything messed up to me right yeah they look fine I don't know that that uh, that is another just like possibility right i mean that's the thing is like there's so many unknowns in this situation so much of what we would say is just pure speculation um but i mean it's just such an interesting thing and it's been such a big deal the last over the course of the weekend we definitely just wanted to to bring it up and talk about it for a minute
1: yeah yeah but i think that's gonna do it for this week's episode then yeah interesting stolen pokemon cards euic is done we don't have another major tournament for a couple of weeks now i think the next major tournament is portland um which is in three weekends so we got to t- some time off which i'm personally very thankful for because i've been traveling a lot lately um let's get something else you want to mention chip send us home
0: nope yeah thanks a bunch to everyone for listening if you enjoyed please be sure to leave us a rating a review here on the your favorite podcasting platform or drop us a comment, a like over on the YouTube channel. Those things are free. They take just a second and they help us out a ton. Also, once again, big thanks to dragon shield for sponsoring the uncommon energy podcast. We're super thankful for our partnership with dragon shield, looking forward to working with them. And like we said, they make the best stuff in the game. Go check them out. If you want to check us out, and follow along with us. The best place to do that is over on Twitter. You can follow myself at chip Richie. Azul is at Azul underscore GG. You can follow the podcast at uncommon underscore energy.
1: Yep. Appreciate the support as always. Uh, catch you all next week, Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern. Peace.